think you must realize that some people are going to go to your show at the planetarium and they're going to say, aha, those scientists have discovered God because God, dark matter, is what holds this universe together. So is that a question? <laughs> it's a statement. You know. You know they're going to so, say that. So the history of discovery, particularly cosmic discovery, but discovery in general, scientific discovery, is one where at any given moment there's a frontier. And there tends to be an urge for people, especially religious people, to assert that across that boundary into the unknown lies the handiwork of God. This shows up a lot. Newton even said it. He had his laws of gravity and motion, and he was explaining the moon and the planet. He was there. He doesn't mention God for any of that. And then he gets to the limits of what his equations can calculate. So I don't, can't quite figure this out. Maybe God steps in and makes it right every now and then. That's, that's where he invoked God. And, and Ptolemy... He, he, he bet on the wrong horse, but he was a brilliant guy. He formulated the geocentric universe with Earth in the middle. This is where we got epicycles and all these, right. all this, the machinations of the heavens. There was still a mystery to him. He, he looked up and uttered the following words. I, when I trace at my pleasure the windings to and fro of the heavenly bodies. These are the planets going through retrograde and back. The mysteries of the earth. When I trace at my pleasure the windings to and fro of the heavenly bodies. I no longer touch earth with my feet. I stand in the presence of Zeus himself and take my fill of ambrosia. What he did was invoke, he didn't invoke Zeus to account for the rock that he's standing on or the air he's breathing. It was this point of mystery and in gets invoked God. This, over time, has been described by philosophers as the God of the gaps. If if that's how you, if that's where you're going to put your God in this world, then God is an ever-receding pocket of scientific ignorance. If that's how you're going to invoke God. If God is the mystery of the universe. These mysteries, we're, t we're tackling these mysteries one by one. If you're going to stay religious at the end of the conversation, God has to be more to you than just where science has yet to tread. So... To the person who says, maybe dark matter is God, if the only reason why you're saying it is because it's a mystery, then get ready to have that undone. Hell yeah, Mr. Tyson. Dark matter is God. <laughs> Isn't, oh, you know what? There's that dark matter guy on YouTube who, yes. who oh, makes some true. excellent videos. With the cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, do you know what Mr. Neil deGrasse Tyson's buddy just did today? Who buddy? Who buddy? His buddy. <laughs> Who's his buddy? <laughs> Mr. Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, oh no. Nye. What did Mr. Bill Nye, the science guy, do? He launched his spaceship. He's, was he trying science? He's doing science. <laughs> his solar sail enters the atmosphere today. Oh. You say his. He, I don't, did, he didn't design it, did he? It was uh, an engineer. part of his... Uh, yeah? uh, he was the one who headed up the project for it and talking about it on uh, Star Talk Radio where they're... You know, it's his foundation that built it, and it's their science, and they're the ones doing the testing on it. And it got put on a payload for a uh, NASA mission. Sweet. Wow, Bill Nye so, the science try. Sweet. 
The only thing it said is it's going to go up. It's going to rotate the Earth. They're going to test it. You know, open it up, close it, rotate it up, test it. That thing is massive. And and then it's going to crash. It's a dark matter sale. Oh yeah, it's going to rotate the Earth. Everybody, hang on. Wear your seatbelts. The God capsule. It's a God sale. It's a. This is the God sale. Well, welcome to the Godless Revolution, everybody. Hello. I am Dan Ellis. Matt. I'm Ryan Duffy. Yay. <laughs> so tonight... Ryan, Ryan was taken off guard because I didn't meow. No, yeah, yeah, you did. No, I said, Matt. Oh. I, croaked, I croaked it. <laughs> I should try a different animal every week. <laughs> How many <laughs> animals? Yeah, that's a good I'm one. Matt. Matt. That's an easy one. That's a good, that's an easy one to do. <laughs> so tonight we're going to be joined by Mr. Joey Lee Kirkman. Joey Lee Kirkman. Author of Bedtime Bible Stories, with that carries a parental advisory, explicit content I mean, it, tag on the front of, of it. It has all this correct <laughs> centers inside of it. I don't know what's so parentally wrong about it. I mean, it's Well, it's because the, the Bible. Bible is not really fucking family friendly, right? I mean, everybody's like, oh, it's the great book. It, it's, yeah. it's the good book. It's the one that everybody should read, book. when fucking most of them don't read it anyway. Yeah, they want yeah. to have every child have one in their hands. Well, they certainly don't read the Old Testament. No. They don't read the... Even... There's a whole bunch of horrific shit in the New Testament. Everybody pretends the new, that the New Testament is this fluffy thing and that, yeah. yeah. you know, oh, we can just do away with a lot of the Old Testament because Jesus came and it I, saved I, us all. I save you. I'm pretty you know, sure Joey has something to say about that part. Neglecting too. the whole bit about Jesus saying that he didn't come to... Uh, uh, f- you know, abolish the old laws. He Just came to, to fulfill affirm. them. Yeah, yeah. With a sword. With a swad. With a sword. With a sword. <laughs> I've always, oh yeah. With a sword. It's one of those English words that's weird for sword. foreigners. I'm sure. Swords. Yeah. You say sword, but you spell it sword. <laughs> so he uses the swords. You guys should go and check out Ryan's awesome video. <laughs> oh yeah. That he posted after last week's yeah. show from the show before that. Yeah. That he missed because he was doing some awesome things in Moab. Some, some awesomeness. You can you can do a search for Moab rope swing. Yeah. Duffy eighty four is the one who made it. Yeah. You can subscribe to me on YouTube. I just post nonsense half the time. I hear that Duffy eighty four guy is kinda cool. He's, he's you know what? I've heard in some circles he's a fucking badass. I'm guessing eighty four was the year you were born, isn't uh, it? correct. Ah, it just nice. makes it easy for me to remember. <laughs> Gold <laughs> God damn it, I'm never gonna live that shit yes, down. Yes, you, you were in middle school. <laughs> Happy trails. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you guys, man. <laughs> I'm older than you. I'm. That's just a fact. But you don't seem it, so that's that's what works. I don't know if that was that a backhanded compliment. <laughs> we all act well. As soon as it came out, I was like, "That doesn't elevate this at all." Like that. Yeah, you actually seem fifty. So, <laughs> not the direction I meant. Yeah, yeah. that's no. not the. Yeah, I, I took it the other way. Yeah, no, you f- you fit right in. Yeah. It's fine. You don't seem older than us, dude. Yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we're going to take a little break while we get Joey on the line. And on the other side, we'll be speaking to his awesomeness, Mr. Joey Lee Kirkman. Transition. Hang on, everybody. Transition. <laughs> check. Tickety check. Check. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you doing, Joey? What's up, Dan? How are you? I'm doing really well, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. 
I'm almost a hundred percent. Almost. Nice. Almost a hundred percent. I'm glad to hear it, man. I, I know, uh, you were not feeling very well there for a couple of days. Yeah. Diverticulitis is uh no joke, oh, but once the, uh, once the, the, uh, two different powerful antibiotics kind of kicked in, um, I started improving pretty rapidly. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it, man. I luckily I've never had diver diverticulitis. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it. Really? You've never heard of it? You know what? That's that's the crazy thing. Um, how much time do we have? Are we? Are we already, what, what are we doing? Oh, we're on the we air. Started? We're on, yeah. You're we're we're running, man. Oh. <laughs> and we're very informal. We're very casual. So. And well, and we've got all the time it's a good that you thing want. I didn't say what I was gonna say. <laughs> no, you feel free. Fucking say whatever the fuck you want, man. <laughs> No, it's just, it was weird for me because the first time I got diverticulitis, and I don't want to bore anybody with this, but I didn't know what the hell it was. I ended up in the hospital with these weird pains, and then and the, the doctor's like, oh, yeah, this is extremely common, but it's also extremely deadly. So, But I caught it early, so he gave me the option of uh, taking some medicine home with me or them admitting me because usually, typically, they admit people. And, of course, I went home. But this time when it came around, um, yeah, I knew what it was pretty much right away. But it, it reminded me of when I was younger and got an abscess tooth. I didn't know what the hell that was either until I get to the dentist and they said, oh, yeah, this will kill you. And I'm like, why aren't people talking about these things if they're so common? <laughs> like, no one talks about it. So you just sort of end up with it. And then when you tell people, when I tell people anyway, they go, oh, yeah, I had that. Oh, yeah, everybody in my family had that. You know, like everybody's had it. So um, you're the first person to say I've never heard of it. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to is like, oh yeah, everybody yeah. gets that. Yeah, that was Ryan. So, so of course, you know, you're you're on the show. You're joined by myself, Matt Mitchell, and Ryan Duffy. Yeah, there's there's three of us that might be chatting at you at any given moment. But <laughs> so, but I I have heard hey, of I have heard of diverticulitis before, but I don't really know what it is. I know it's some kind of digestive issue, or yeah. Yeah, the the science isn't strong on it yet, but what they think is, I drink a lot of smoothies, and I don't do the uh, juicing kind of thing. I, I uh, keep all the fiber and seeds and everything. I grind it all up, mm. and so I drink it all. And um, so what my doctor seems to think is that in your small intestines, you have these little flaps. And if something's small enough, occasionally it can get in one of those flaps and sit and start to infect. And then once the infection spreads, that is diverticulitis. Jesus, um, yummy. And it, it's, it can perforate your small intestine. The, the, the infection can get so bad, and then the inflammation can perforate your small intestine, which can obviously cause some really major problems. And it, like I said, ultimately it can kill you if it goes untreated, just like an abscess tooth or an abscess tonsil. It's infection, and it can get in your bloodstream, and that's all she wrote. I think, I think an abscess tonsil killed George Washington. Really? Can't that, don't that quote me on that, but I believe I had that one, and I think an abscess tonsil is what took George Washington out. I thought it was a wooden teeth. That wasn't true. Going on in his mouth. <laughs> uh, hey, man, this is Matt. I just, I just got a quick question for you. I I heard you hey, on a prominent podcast. I won't. I won't mention Seth Andrews' name, who introduced you as as Joey Kirkland. So I was wondering if I could call you that for the remainder of the show. <laughs> I know, right? It's, 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 yeah, I remember that moment. Glad you know me so well. Yeah, I did that with um, I did R. Ron Ra's podcast when we were in Utah. Actually, that's where I met Dan. 
And uh, I got a guy, they invited me, or his, his uh, co-host Nebo had invited me. I thought, oh, this is great. And I had been sponsoring the show. Well, my book, The Bedtime Bible Stories, had been sponsoring the first five episodes of their show. And I'm all excited, and I get into our Rod's hotel room, and she's like, oh, so who are you? <laughs> and, and I, I shit you not. Like, and then we, I sit down in front of his uh, camera there, and we, we get the show going. And when he introduce, introduces me, he's like, uh, uh, bed, Bible, st- <laughs> who are you again? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, you guys do your research. Thanks a lot. Well, and he didn't, he didn't oh, yeah, even talk about it show, for very long so either. <laughs> Uh, That's funny, man. Such is the life. So how long ago did Bedtime Bible Stories come out? Um, That first American Atheist Conference that I went to, which was um, April 20th, 2014, was our book release party there. And um, David Silverman wrote a forward to Bedtime Bible Stories, so I wanted to have it there. So it came out while we were there, Dan. Nice. So I'm one of the early adopters. Pardon? I'm, I'm one of the early adopters. I didn't know that it was just barely released when you were there at the convention. You know that was the first the first book I sold was at that conference because it, um, the way it works when you publish through CreateSpace and uh, Amazon, um, they'll you know you have to it was ready a couple of days earlier, but I didn't promote it until the day of, and so we were we we sold our first books at that conference. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I can I can remember you had Lindsay dressed in the burqa. The, the <laughs> full... That was her idea. Was, was it really? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, had, she, had, uh, she was still beautiful in that thing, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's got really beautiful eyes. Your your wife, honestly, is is gorgeous. She's she's a, and besides being gorgeous, she's intelligent and incredibly friendly and nice and wonderful. <laughs> well, no, Joey Joey will tell you, and I disagree, but he'll tell you that he the that she has married below herself, or that he's married up for sure. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I should say, as of today, she just graduated with her bachelor's, and she's in, she's a registered nurse. She was a registered nurse already uh, with an associate's degree, but today she finished her four-year degree. Woo-hoo! And so Congrats. I applaud her for that. And um, Dan is being very factual there. I'm 42 <laughs> years old, um, six foot one, 220 pounds, acne scars, a little bit on the dumb side. And my wife is 29, hot, educated, athletic. Um, and no, I don't have, you know, a big penis. <laughs> I, uh, so I, I don't know hope. what the hell it is, but I got very lucky. <laughs> I, I think you married very well. I think she married very well as also. Yeah. You're an author. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I think you guys are both very, very cool. I'm, I'm, I feel privileged to know you both and, and uh, have met you both and hung out with you a few times. Um, so, so well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, yeah, I know you. You live in North Carolina, Greensboro, right? Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Greensboro, North Carolina. Born and raised in kind of a really, it was I would say a Christian home, but it's not really. My parents weren't very practicing Christians. They didn't go to church a lot. But um, when I was younger, I would visit my uh, cousins, and they lived out. I, I grew up in government homes. I grew up in the city, and uh, the government literally paid half of our mortgage. My dad would ration food. Like we, we could only have one slice of ham with a sandwich, <laughs> two scoops of ice cream out of the whole cart, and that kind of thing. My dad was paying his own way through school um, and working a, a bunch of jobs to help do that. So he was kicking ass. And um, he graduated 
when I turned 15, he, he finally finished college and he had been working a part-time job with the IRS. And so we went from him answering the phones at the IRS, making probably eight or eight bucks an hour back then, which was pretty decent back then to, um, becoming a federal agent at the internal, with the internal revenue service. And so we went from the ghetto to like Forest Oaks country club overnight. (laughs) Um, but I would visit like my cousins and uncles who were, they were extremely religious, very evangelical Southern Baptist. And so that was my next step. And then from there, I, uh, one of my buddies invited me to his church, which turns out was kind of a Pentecostal church. And I became a holy roller from age 21 to 23. And uh, so that's kind of a quick synopsis of my background. Well, nice. I, I know in the in the forward or the intro to Bedtime Bible Stories, you mentioned your father. And... You know, you thank him for all that he did to provide for your family, and but you also mentioned that he'll probably never ever read the book. Do you know if he has read it yet? Well, um, he actually, we uh, we we have a he he had a tax business, and I have a tax business, and he, he like I said, he worked for the IRS, and he brought me up in that business, and um, so every tax season I worked in his office a lot. And when I was writing that book, what was funny is everybody around us were Christians, some of them pretty fundamentalist in the office. Um, but him and I, obviously I wasn't, and he had started to come out of his religiosity as well. And occasionally he would come downstairs and, Hey, Joey, I got an idea for your book. And he would throw a couple ideas and that just, he was just letting me know that he was supportive, but he also had his other, his wife and his other, you know, the other family members that he didn't want to hurt them either. So he never got too involved, but to answer your question, I, I still do not know till this day because he died 10 months ago. Oh, uh, he he passed away with cancer ten months ago, but I still don't know to this day, and I kind of like it like that because that that's kind of the way he wanted it. Like he he would support me openly and publicly, but he would also back off when it was appropriate. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm I'm really yeah, sorry so to he hear could, about so that. So he could man. be sort supportive to the rest of the family. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear I'm sorry to hear about his passing. Yeah, that's, we all are. That's Thank it. I'm, didn't I'm mean sorry. to bring the show down. Oh no, no. You're good. <laughs> hey, we're pretty loose, man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he was one of the, he was, if I gave him credit, I spent a lot of time with him. So, um, we, we, we were together a lot. Um, and he, I, I gave him credit when we would talk about, we talked about religion and death and life and all that stuff. And I gave him a lot of credit for actually being the first Christian with the first foot out of the door because the rest of my family, uh, extended family, I would say that the rest of the family that I spent time with, I mean, they, like I said, they were in church heavily. One of the like, deacons of the church and pastors, all of that. My dad was just like, "Yeah, I'm a Christian, but that's it." You know, he didn't force anything down our throats. He didn't force us to go to church, and he just kind of didn't give a shit. And then later, I can remember when I was, you know, sixteen, seventeen. He would always say, when people would bring church up to him or paying tithes and things like that, he would always say, "Well, charity starts at home," and he would always say that. That was his mantra: charity starts at home. That was his out from church. And so I kind of gave him credit from being the first, you know, for being the first Kirkman to put at least one foot out the door. Yeah. And then of course I went all the way out. Yeah. <laughs> well, how very humanist of him. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. In fact, two, I have three daughters. Um, Brittany is my oldest daughter. She was born when I was 18 and she, she was still, you know, she was born when I was still a Christian. And so she had to deal with a little bit of indoctrination, but my middle child and my youngest daughter, they're the first two Kirkmans in recent history, I would at least say, that have been raised completely with zero indoctrination. 
Hmm. And they, <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun now because they're, they're now 16 and 18. And we talk a lot. And it's kind of fun for me to see how they react to other people <laughs> when they talk, <laughs> do, you know, the religious talk, those conversations. Because my kids are like, how the hell do they believe that? <laughs> they have no frame of reference. So they're just like, well, how do you get from, how do you get from this reality to believing that? Yeah. God created Adam or, or Eve with a rib. That was my daughter's question mm-hmm. like a week ago. For some reason, that really got to her. Like, how, how, does, how does this person believe that Eve was created from one of a guy's rib? And then she goes into the whole science and biology of, of a human body. And she's only 18, so it's fun for me to watch them now. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, and I've always thought it was weird that you know everybody has this huge problem, or, or Christians have this huge problem with the notion that you know we have an an ancestral cousin with with apes right and they're like oh i didn't come from no goddamn monkey but they're just fine with being created from dust and then women being created from the rib of a yeah. man like that all that all that's all perfectly fine makes complete sense yeah <laughs> yeah i think when you're indoctrinated indoctrinated with that as a child you know you just you, you chalk it up to a miracle of God, or God can do anything because He's you know powerful, all powerful. But um, you know, like I said, w- with my daughter being raised with no indoctrination, she just thinks that's, in her words, hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were you said you were a holy roller basically until you were twenty two, I believe you right. said twenty one to twenty three. Twenty three. Twenty three. So, what got you started on the on the godless path? What what can you can you point to any one thing in particular, or was there, or were there any defining moments that led you out of religion? Yeah, I didn't have a defining moment. What I had was a bunch of red flags that sort of met back with my adult brain, like things that happened within my childhood, and then later when I was adult, I was like, oh yeah, I I, I remember that point in time vividly because it it was a red flag. Um, so my journey out of religion took a decade or more. Um, not, I mean, that's kind of like when it started, it, it, it was still kind of slow. But even when I was younger, when those red flag things happened, I still, I hadn't put it together yet. When I was 15, and I'm t- I think I told this story on the Thinking Atheist or Dogma Debate 1, but um, to, sorry if anybody is hearing it repeated. <laughs> but uh, when I was about 14 years old, maybe 13, I was over at my cousin's house out in the country, and th- these were the Southern Baptist evangelicals. And by the way, a lot of them are really good people, and I don't mean to, I'm not, so I'll never say names. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But um, So when you spent a night at my uncle's house on a Saturday night, you had to go to church Sunday morning. The, the house had to be clear. Every, everybody was required to go to church. And one Saturday night, I mentioned that my stomach was hurting, and he and he come running in the room, and he thought that I was trying to get out of church. It, didn't, it never occurred to me, but he thought I was trying to get out of church. And he starts explaining to me about the love of Christ and the importance of being in church. And then on the back in the background, there was a news story on, and uh, um, they, they said that someone had fallen through the ice and drowned at Ritter's Lake, and that lake was right down the road from us, so it got our attention. They go to a commercial. He continues to talk about the love of Christ and the importance of being in church. And they come back from commercial. They show a picture of the little girl that had fallen through the ice and drowned. And it was a, I can still see her till this day, extremely vividly. That's what I mean by those little red flag moments. Um, and it was a little nine-year-old black girl. And he turns to me 
and he goes, oh, it's just a nigger. And then he continues his conversation (laughs) about the love of Christ and the importance of being in church. And even at that age, I I knew something was wrong in that moment, obviously. And, but even at that, it still took years later for that to kind of come back full circle and be like, Mm. he had no Jesus in him. You know, there was nothing Jesus-y about that. So, uh, that was kind of one of those red flag moments. And then later in high school, I had a gym teacher who, I'm sorry, a shop teacher. Uh, me and my buddy was talking about the Bible. And as we were entering the, the shop, he was holding the door open. And as we were walking in, he heard us talking about the Bible. And he just kind of nudges me with his knee and he goes, Kirkman, you believe in that shit? <laughs> <laughs> and it was the first time in my life that I heard someone even challenge the Bible or God, or anything like that. And that was it. I just kept walking into the shop, terrified, like, what did he just say? That dude's going to hell. Did I hear him right? Like, how could he even do that? That's not a thing. <laughs> but I'm no longer allowed to speak with him. <laughs> but I look back on those moments as those were like like seeds being planted, you know? And um, um, so later in life, I, I'll just cut, like, bypass 10 years here. I ended up in the comedy business about 12 years ago. And... Um, comedians were coming through doing their jokes and they started making fun of religion. And I thought, wow, they're making really good points. And so I started kind of taking those points back home to family and not, not driving at home, just asking questions. And I noticed just by asking questions alone, I started to get ostracized. And so it probably took another four five, six years. And I started getting more vocal and more vocal. And the more ostracized I got, the more vocal I got. And then finally around 2011, when the marriage equality debates hit North Carolina, mm-hmm. North Carolina, I have gay loved ones in my life. And that was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was mm-hmm. like, fuck it. I'm going to be an activist now. I'm coming all the way out. And I have a tax business here. So I was kind of terrified, you know, to kind of come out and become a full time, full blown activist because I didn't know how many clients I would lose. I didn't know how it would affect my livelihood. But at some point I said, fuck it, I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, people are like, why don't you hide your name? And I'm like, well, if you, if you have to hide your name, you really can't be an activist. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> kind of the point. Or not taken like seriously as an activist. Well, I mean, you can be an activist. You know, I don't want people to lose their jobs over it. I'm just saying yeah. I, I found myself in a position to where I could. You know, like I'm self-employed, so I can lose clients, but I'm not going to lose my entire practice. Right, right. Um, and what came of that, like an unintended consequence, I really hadn't thought that far ahead other than being afraid. I just ended up, I started getting a lot of atheist clients. Nice. And so it balanced out. And um, so again, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. So are you a little bit of a, I mean, I imagine you're, you're obviously an atheist celebrity. Are you known in your community by a lot of uh, religious people as being an outspoken atheist? Or do they not really uh, know I'm, who you are? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, let me clear. I'm not a celebrity at all. <laughs> at all. Um, it, it, I, I may be like a public figure yeah. to look just a, a slight degree. Cause I do have a book and I do, you know, obviously promote it. And I am a, I've been involved in some things. Like if you go online to YouTube and research bully, the bullies and put mm-hmm. my name, I think you'll find a video. We made it on CNN, Anderson Cooper, three sixty, Kona Bryant, where we, we just, we, um, we pulled some shenanigans on some street preachers during mm-hmm. the marriage equality debates here in North Carolina. And so that kind of put me on the map. Um, and my co-author for, Bedtime Bible Stories, he's a real celebrity. His name is J.D. Shapiro. He wrote Robin Hood Men in Tights, okay, We Married yeah. Margot, and all that. Yeah. Um, 
and our illustrator worked for Stan Lee, so he might, he may be a little bit of a celebrity. I'm just kind of a fart dick joke, kind of smart-ass atheist <laughs> activist that likes to be a thorn in people's side. Um, but in my community, yes, very much so, because um, I uh, my, my wife and I, we had our hometown haunts, and there are bars that we like to go to. And uh, I, I, I've been in the comedy scene, in the comedy business for, for a long time, and I used to promote shows here at the Greensboro Coliseum. So, yeah, I'm kind of known hit now, but that just means, you know, 70% of the people now hate me in the community. <laughs> um, right. So if I'm a celebrity or anything here, it's because, yeah, stay away from that guy. Okay. Yeah, when I heard your... He'll brainwash. When I heard your illustrator uh, worked for Stan Lee, I was I was really hoping to see some mashups like Chariots of Iron Man, maybe, or <laughs> Professor Xmas, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you probably see some lawsuits too after that. Yeah. Well, maybe so. Say, so speaking of a uh, oh, Noah's Archangel, that would have been more, that say so speaking of comedians yeah. is uh, is George Carlin God in in bedtime Bible in stories? Book? Yes. Wait, who said that? Who asked that? Uh, that's Ryan that asked that. Ryan, I fucking love you. <laughs> you, are the, you are the first person to ask that question, and the answer is yes, very much so. Mm. I knew it. And I, I knew it. <laughs> and it's so obvious. And I, we, we, There's a lot of things in the book that we didn't promote for that purpose because we, we hope at some point I guess yeah, you know the, the the pipe dream is to eventually make it onto Bill Maher somehow, and then and then you know a hundred you know a hundred thousand people buy the book, or and, and two million people hear about it. Yeah. And at that point, that's when people will start to notice things. So we put a lot of hidden things in the book like that, and uh, you you literally the first person to ask. And yes, thank oh, you for that. Awesome. Well, that's fan fucking fantastic, Mister Duffy. Well I done. Feel, I feel awesome today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you like that first one where the ball sack's hanging out? I like <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he brought that up to me pre-show, and I was looking at it, and I'm like, ah, I mean, it kind of looks like him, but Carlin always had long hair. Yeah, that's why we were well, going through who all the people were in there. I'm like, that, that God's George Carlin. That's George Carlin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, our our Yeah, we wanted to pay homage to him, you know, because that was yeah. his stick. And then nope. there's a there's some other people we pay homage to in there, like uh, Nate, uh, Nathan Phelps, the son of Fred Phelps, yeah. in there, and his... I'll tell you, I'll give you, if you look in the spine, if you, if you look at his illustration, you have to open the book pretty far. And if you look in the spine almost, there's Shirley Phelps holding his sign, promoting his website. Oh. <laughs> well, we have, we have the book here. Ryan's flipping through it. You say it's toward the back <laughs> So that's of the book? what I mean by we put some fun things in there that we're waiting on people to notice because they're pretty cool. At least to me, I thought they were. Oh, yeah. Um, but... It, Nice. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. God hates figs. Perfect. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then you can make Shirley out there in the background or in the spine there. Yep. So we didn't make it obvious, but there she is. And then my wife is actually in there. I have my three daughters are in there. Um, there's a in the Job scene, the angel. That's a guy named Roni. He used to be um, in a white supremacist group oh, or something oh, wow. similar to that in a town near me. Like it's called Lexington. North Carolina, which they're kind of they're kind of known for. They're they're the American version of the the Taliban as far as the mentality there. They're, it's a wow. pretty bad place to be. But but anyway, he he. Um, uh, well, I don't want to give give it give too, too much, much away. But he basically emailed me one day years ago uh, while I was working on the book and said, "Hey, I've been following your bully the bully stuff for a long time. I just wanted you to know I started my Exodus from Religion six months ago." 
and it's changed my life. It's changed my children's life, and I've left, you know, I've left all that racist bullshit behind. I used to fight yeah. against gay people. Now I'm fighting for them. Well, and uh, yeah, now he's all over social media, and he's basically, you know, a social media warrior now. And um, so I decided to put him in the book because he's a nice reminder to me of why I do what I do. Yeah, making that change. That's awesome. So lot, yeah, so lots of fun stuff going on there that no one, some people won't ever notice, and then. People would have no idea anyway. Right, right. So it's for me. That's fantastic. So, besides bedtime Bible stories, I know that you're currently working on another book. Uh, I think titled "PR Pope." Is that is that the final title for it? Yeah, "PR Pope" is the final title. I'm tr- I'm playing around with subtitles. I thought about the subtitle the other night, um, and I, I have it listed on with my publisher right now um, as "PR Pope," and the subtitle is. Um, and Generation H. You now everybody labels the generations, yeah. and I called this one Generation H because I call it uh, Generation Headline. The, oh, okay. This hmm. generation only reads the headlines, right. and that's starting to pick up steam. A lot, I hear, I hear a, a lot more people saying that all the time because it's true. Yeah. People will read the headline and share it. Read the headline, share it. Read the headline, sh- <laughs> right, right. share it. And that's, I think, what the, the public relations pope is all about. They know this, and at least they're trying to get to those people. And uh, the Vatican has hired a public relations guy from the, that used to work with uh, Fox News. And so they, you know, they sort of orchestrate these, uh, these, these events to where the Pope will say something, the headlines go out, and then the Pope gets to go back to the Vatican, or the, pe- the Pope's people, rather, get to go back to their you know, they're kind of their base and say, Oh no, that's, he said that, but here's what it, you know, they're, they're mischaracterizing this word or, you know what I mean? It's two faced is what it is. And that's why if you look at the cover of PR Pope, it's a two faced Pope. Yeah. I I really like that cover art. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Who, who do the, who did the cover art for you? Well, um, both illustrators for the illustrator for bedtime Bible stories and the illustrator for PR Pope, they're actually anonymous. Okay. Um, J.D. Shapiro is not, and he can confirm that the illustrator works for <laughs> Stan Lee, if anybody ever questioned it, because J.D. Shapiro actually works with Stan Lee, too, on a, on a project called The Guardian Project. Uh, but the other illustrator for PR, Pope, he he's anonymous as well. He has a daughter and a family, and um, he's not ready to, you know, risk. I don't really see yeah. it as a as a risk. I don't, I don't, I've had some death threats. Uh, one of them was pretty scary, I guess. It was, it was. But it didn't put me in a position where I need to felt like I needed to quit, you know. Um, but he just doesn't want to deal with any of that backlash. So, so what was it's this? a fake name on there? Well, I've I've had I've had a couple death threats. What was and I had one that was just it seemed I don't know it 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 frightened me a little bit, but it seemed more sinister in that like I had never had any interaction with this person at all. And they just contacted me out of the blue on Facebook and, you know, mentioned a lot of things that, that made it clear that, you know, they had been paying attention to what I'd been doing on Facebook for some time and knew, you know, where I lived or at least a general area and where, you know, people that I cared about were at least in a general area. And it was it was very veiled threats, but with the amount of knowledge that they had about me, the fact that I hadn't known anything about them prior to this contact and that, you know, that a lot of the things they said were very veiled, um, kind of freaked me out a little bit. What was, what was the 
threat that you thought was was fairly serious? Well, it, I don't know that I ever thought it was like really serious because I remember Christopher Hitchens saying during an interview. Uh, I've ne- by the way, I've never read one of his books. Uh, I, I can't, but I love his interviews and his debates. And I remember him saying during an interview when they asked him the question about death threats, he was, he said, I'm not afraid of the people that make death threats. I'm afraid of the people who haven't, like the people who won't. Yeah. In other words, if someone messages you or emails you or, and makes a death threat, there's, there's a paper trail already. Yeah. yeah. And Hitchens was saying, I'm afraid of the person that won't make the death threat because they're the ones that's going to come up behind you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ones you know. who will just show up out of the blue. Yes, I don't know. I did take it serious at first, but once I processed it, I kind of was like, eh. but it was it it ended up hilarious, and I can't t- tell you that part. He, I was on a um, thread. My local news here is called My Fox Eight, and man, does that news station bring out the dummies! <laughs> um, so uh, this is a couple years ago when I had time to do that kind of stuff. But I uh, I was on that thread and. I guess I started debating or, or some, with someone, and then he, this person chimed in, mm. and I, like I said, I'm from the comedy business. We go for the jugular. We don't. It doesn't mean we hate you. It doesn't mean we're angry. You know, we just go for the insult that's going to hurt you the most right up front. <laughs> you know, we want to set precedents. We and try so to shut time, your shit down. Yeah, that was my <laughs> that was my style for a while, and it still is sometimes. Uh, but then he started messaging me privately and so started with the threats. And so this was back when you could, I didn't think they ha- had many privacy settings back then, but I, I clicked on his name and I could see like his family. <laughs> I could oh. see that we had a couple of mutual friends. He was in Charlotte, North Carolina, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is only an hour apart. And I realized one of the, one of my old high school teachers was his Sunday school teacher now. So what I did was I started I kind of let him banter for a while and kind of egg him on. But then he started saying things like, you know, I'll come to your house. Um, you won't know the time or day. And then I started thinking about my kids. And I thought, well, maybe this guy could be, you know, crazy. And so I'll stop it here. And then I screenshot it. And I started plastering it on Facebook. And I started tagging his Sunday school teacher and tagging his family members that I could tag. And it got really <laughs> weird because uh, it just kind of exposed him. And yeah. then... Um, he started messaging me. I was just joking. And I was like, no, you don't joke about coming yeah. to somebody's house and, you know, when their family's home. Um, so that was kind of the weird one, but I, I was able to out him right away and tag other people. So he went away pretty quick and blocked me. But again, like I said, I, I'm more afraid of the ones who aren't saying anything that, you know, be a surprise. Cause you have to think about, I was thinking about this recently. We're making a huge impact, whether we know it or not. Even though our numbers are growing right now, and we're, and we're hearing that the millennials, one in three adults, age 18 to 29, now identify as nuns, the fact of the matter is, is that as far as the, at least the right-wing churches um, and the Catholic churches, we're emptying a lot of these out. And mm-hmm. if you think in terms of like the tidings that they're missing out on, and you multiply that times the numbers, and I know some of these people are kids and some of them are adults, but just think about the money that we're sucking out oh, of their yeah. system. Oh, for sure. Well, and just future generations. Oh, yeah. Pardon? I was thinking just, even just future generations, that they don't take their children to church anymore. So that's, you know, 20 years on a line, that's all that money gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's exponential. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just like people, yeah. <laughs> they're exponential. So the money's going to be exponential. So I, I, there has to be some pissed off people at the top. I mean, and. 
at some point, you know, this is going to come to a head. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I mean, it's it's got to be it's, something's going on. You know, there'll, there'll be some type of weird tipping point none of us see coming, and so I just don't, you know, I I don't worry about death threats. What I do find funny is that I've had about five or six Christian family members at some point in time over the last few years come up to me and say, "Aren't you worried about getting shot?" And I'm like. Doesn't that say a lot about your religion? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about getting shot by an atheist. No. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah but, well, you know, if you think they're a Christian, I mean, that, that should tell you, you know, that your your religion is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Well, and how fucking backward and, and shitty is it of people to think that, you know, they can disagree with you and their God would be just fine with... You know they 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 have a disagreement with you, and then they should fucking kill you because of that disagreement. Their their faith is so fucking weak that it can't withstand any kind of criticism from people at all. Mm-hmm. And their first their first instinct is to say, "Fuck you, you're wrong," and I will yeah. kill you because you're wrong. Well, I was gonna say there's that cop. I don't have the story on hand right now, but there's that cop that came out where he's basically saying, "I'm killing for Jesus. Uh, Jesus gives not, me approval to." Let's not do cops again. No, no, no. This was just one <laughs> one guy saying that it's he's got approval from God to. Kill people. Yeah, well. God says I can go a-hunting. <laughs> well, even soldiers, people say, yeah, God gives sure. me approval to kill. I, with Joey, I'm more worried about the Illuminati. I mean, like, with the PR Pope and stuff coming out. I mean, we just had Lucian on last last week, and he said it wasn't even that hard to get in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think a person, you know, just your run-of-the-mill, average fundamentalist Christian redneck that may hurt somebody over that... I think the way they justify it is they see us as people that are going to cause their children to burn in hell for eternity. I don't right. think I don't think it's necessarily, you know, you're an atheist, I want to kill you. I think it's way deeper than that. And I, like I said, I mean, they honestly, truly believe that we're a threat to their children's eternity. Yeah. You know, say, for example, you know, I'm, I'm out there and we're doing our shenanigans and then they see it on CNN and they, they see me out there with the sign. By the way, the sign that made it on CNN if you got, I'll give you some backstory real quick and it'll tie back into what we're talking about. But we were a, a pastor in Newton, North Carolina said publicly that all the gays and lesbians should be put in electrified fence until they die out. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah. He added a lot more to it, but it was some Hitler bullshit mm-hmm. and it was recorded. And so it hit the news and we, uh, along with some other organized organizers, we went, uh, we have, were involved with this big protest, like 1,500 people showed up, and so did some street preachers. So we had our stuff ready. We had our cameras ready and our signs ready, and I took blank signs because I wanted to be inspired. I, di- I didn't want something to just, you know, write something, some saying that everyone else is seeing, some hack shit. So I got there, and I literally got out of my car and walked up this embankment, and there was one of the street preachers, and he had two teeth. He was preaching, and he had two teeth. <laughs> yelling and screaming about queers and homosexuals, yeah. and he had two fucking teeth. And he so could I was floss like, with a, There might be a. He could floss with pardon? a knotted sock. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, maybe there is a god. And I went back to my car and I made the sign: "This guy has no teeth." And I literally <laughs> stood two feet behind him until more people got there, and I went behind other street preachers. But I like just stood behind him while he screamed at people. I had this big sign behind him that said, "This guy has no teeth." I was just, you know, like what? I was just scrolling through. I was just scrolling through your Facebook timeline, and we ran across that a couple <laughs> seconds ago. That, yeah. 
I was wondering what that was about, so that was perfect. <laughs> yeah, so what was hilarious is and we have a 15-minute documentary on YouTube, and I, I don't know the link. Like I said, you'll have to search it out, but just put my name and you'll find it. Um, you have to put it with Bully the Bullies, and you'll find it. It's hilarious. Yeah, got, that's Joey Kirkland. A bunch of stuff. It's, yeah, Kirkland. Joey Kirkland. Kirk. <laughs> so what happened was, um, as the as, as the you know thousand eleven hundred twelve hundred people show up, CNN shows up, and some other news organizations show up, and I start moving around, and we had some other signs, and we were doing some other shenanigans. But what happened was, I, I got behind this one guy, the one you see in the picture there, and um, I held the sign behind him, and the CNN the CNN guy walks up to me and just looks at me and reads the sign and looks at me and gets this shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> and he calls his cameraman over, and he decides to interview the guy that I'm standing behind. <laughs> and if you look at and if you watch the interview, you'll see the camera guy. Well, he starts at my sign, and then he pans down to the guy that he's interviewing. <laughs> and I thought, it was, nice. I thought it was brilliant because they don't address the sign. In other words, no one brings it up. It's yeah. just there on national <laughs> news. It was on headline news. <laughs> and, awesome. it was, and so that shot... It was everywhere, and no one addressed it, but you know they put it in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's fucking and, uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, so now I forgot the point I was going to drive back home to, but uh, that... <laughs> That's all right. Uh, yeah, so what were we talking about? I don't know. We do that all the time on this show. Yeah, we just kind of start right. rambling, and then we're like, fuck, where was I going? Yeah. Was just... <laughs> I was going to tie it back to that pastor. Um, I can't remember how now, but anyway, yeah. So. Oh, you are saying something about... Uh, putting them behind electric electric fences or something was that that was that the same story? It was before that. Before that you guys asked shit, me a I question. I was trying to tie it back in. I apologize. No, you're good. Oh, no need I've to apologize, man. We, I don't know what's up. We we traveled the rambling road with you, and we're enjoying every minute of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to so, know. Uh, oh, yeah, so I, it's just um, that's kind of been my angle toward. To, I didn't even know there was an atheist community, by the way. Dan, when I met you, I was that was 2014, mm-hmm. but I was only maybe two. That, that was my second year knowing that there was a real like atheist movement, you yeah. know, or, or a secular movement. Just because I, I was I, I was born and raised here in my little bubble, and so I was I thought I, I felt really alone before 2012, um, and in 2014 it just opened up this whole like ocean. I, it, I felt like I discovered an ocean. Like I just walked up on, oh, there, there's this big thing I've never seen. Yeah. And uh, I had no clue how big it was. And I'm just really glad that it is. And I'm really glad that it's growing. And so, uh, yeah, so it's no, been a I, hell of a journey. I feel you, man. I mean, before, I think it was probably 2010, 20, 2009, 2010, I, I think when, you know, I, I had been an atheist for years and years like well i had been an atheist for a really long time didn't even know really what an atheist was but i was one and then uh worked with a guy who was an atheist and you know i learned some things from him and i think the first bit of uh what you could call sort of atheistic literature i read was carl sagan's uh demon haunted world science as a candle in the, science as a candle in the dark and I read that, and it kind of changed me. It changed a lot of things. You know, it it, it helped me to uh, be be a better skeptic about a lot of things, and realize that you know I didn't have to buy into any bit of the the god delusion or any bit of or anything like that. And then I, you know, I I realized that 
I was an atheist and and had a had a good term for how I felt about the question of religion. And then I spent, you know, fuck, probably almost, well, yeah, it was almost 10 years just as an atheist thinking that I was one of the very, very few, right? That there there obviously can't be very many atheists around or I would know about them or they would have things going on. And, you know, I, I got into computers more and more. And one day I just thought, oh, Maybe I should do a, do, a, do a search. I'll I'll do the Googles. I'll do the Googles and see if see if there's any atheists around me. And I found that you know there's a there's a huge group here in here in Utah, atheists of Utah. And I was like, oh, well, what do they do? And I went to their homepage and their meetup group and Facebook and saw that they had all these events going on and everything. And I was like, wow, this is really fucking cool. And then it took me forever to actually go to anything. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd respond, yes, that I was going, and then the date would come, and I was like, oh, I don't know. What if they're all really bad people? Or, <laughs> what you know, what if they're not going to like me? Or what if they're really crazy people? <laughs> He's weird. doing the Mr. Burns fingers, too, right now, so. But there was all this built-up tension and, and not knowing and being afraid, and, you know, because I'd never, you know, I had some friends that were not really very religious or anything, but... They weren't like outspoken and and free with using the a word. You know, they they didn't openly say they were an atheist, at least to other people outside of you know our close knit group of friends or whatever. And you know, so so there was this huge amount of tension, and I'd I'd respond yes, I'm going to go, and then I wouldn't go, or I'd say yes, I'm going to go, and then say oh sorry, uh, something came up. Uh, my dog died, or Again. you know, just what? Yeah, you know, make make an excuse after excuse, and then finally, I just I went one day because I didn't have anything else going on, and I figured, fuck it, it's been everything too long. You had had died already, so you <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I can't make go. up any more excuses. I'm just gonna fucking go. So I went, and fucking everybody was super nice, and they were just regular people like me, like you know, for some reason, and I'm and I'm sure it has everything to do with being raised in religion and being fed all of this bullshit for so long. But, you know, you have this image in the back of your mind that, you know, atheists are horrible people, even if you are an atheist and you're just new to it. It's like, well, clearly, yeah, yeah, tons and tons of fucking baggage. Like you're thinking, well, clearly I'm the only sane atheist out there, right? Like everybody else is just fucking crazy because they don't believe in God. I don't believe in God, but I'm 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 normal. But well, I'm 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 a rare exception. There is plenty of the crazy atheists I'm too. A, well, true, <laughs> true, but yeah, you don't want to get me started on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, I'm one of them, by the way. I didn't mean that in a bad way. I'm one of the crazy ass atheists. But yeah. I I have a question for you guys. Like, um, this is how naive I was. I. I, I feel like if I discovered some land or if I discovered some mold in my house and I, and I ran back to the family or, you know, like, Hey, I found this mold or if I ran back to the community, hey, I found this land. I feel like people would be excited. And as I discovered that religion was bullshit, I started to run back to my family and start to ask those questions because I thought they were going to be like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that's how naive I was. I thought they were going to be like, yeah, it is kind of bullshit. You know, I didn't think it would happen overnight, but I kind of thought, oh, I'll have these conversations. And I, I'm, you know, I felt like, you know, in a way like Christopher Columbus, at least the version <laughs> we're taught in elementary of Christopher Columbus. But um, I was, as the ostracization happened, 
ostracization happened in my family, I, did, I actually never saw it coming. And, and it, it just, it was kind of a slow thing. I thought, well, maybe it'll take a little more time and maybe I should be a little less candy coating it. Maybe I should be more blunt because they're blunt with what they're saying, you know, and it just sort of snowballed. Did you guys have a similar experience to where you thought, Hey, I found some mold in the house. Wouldn't you like to know? Cause they didn't want to <laughs> fucking know the mold was in the house. They were, you know, they just want yeah. to fucking breathe the mold. I did. I, I did for sure. I, I had a ton of excitement and I just was telling everybody I, I was kind of, my timeline is probably similar to yours. Um, but I was kind of like Dan too, in a way where I, I, I kind of felt alone, but then I hit the Googles and then, uh, <laughs> and I actually found atheist experience and I listened to that a lot and I found out they were, that the convention was going to be in Utah so I went to that, and that's where I met Dan. But before that, you know, like I went to talk to my sisters about it, and I was telling everybody, my parents, my ex-wife, everything. And my sisters were cool with it. My parents were kind of like, that's fine, but don't talk to us about it uh, and stuff. But I, I didn't really have a, a – I, I wasn't really ostracized, you know, in the way that some people that I've talked to from, like, from the South and stuff that, that can be. But Mormons are a little different. It's more, more passive-aggressive. Yeah, and I I was under no delusion whatsoever that any of my family members would be welcoming of my newfound <laughs> atheism. Like I I knew that they would all be, you know, very very non-accepting of any bit of that. And and for the most part, you know, I knew that most of my friends wouldn't be also. The thing that the thing that bothers me is that you know, I had this pretty close-knit group of friends for a very very long time and in growing up with these people and hanging out with them on a nearly daily basis and, you know, going on trips with them and hanging out with them all the time, calling, texting, email, you know, all of these various communications, the question of God never once fucking came up until I made it clear that I was an atheist and I lost a whole bunch of friends who, prior to me coming out as an atheist, I would have had absolutely no fucking clue that they were religious in the slightest. See, in mine... I grew up in a mold-free environment. I saw the mold. There was mold hanging around every once in a while. But then when I went, seriously, you like the mold? You want the mold to hang around? I thought the mold was a joke. No, they just don't even want to know the mold is there. That's what it is. Yeah, right. uh, yeah just leave it covered up with that fucking wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I see it. Why don't you get rid of it? Yeah, Ryan had the benefit, like yeah, Ryan had the benefit of growing up in a, non, in a non-religious family. Ah, oh, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, even as a kid, when I didn't espouse a belief in a God or anything like that, when I would hear the word atheist, I thought bad. Things like, so I always had, oh, atheist is bad. Uh, I can't be a bad, that's like a devil worshiper. Yeah. yeah I can't yeah. be that, because I don't believe in that either. Well, and yeah, then, exactly. And I, I come to realize, oh, shit. Yeah, I, I remember. I am that. <laughs> I remember even when, even when I was an atheist and, and finally you know, got up the nerve to tell some people or a few people that I was an atheist, I would always preface it with, you know, I'm always really hesitant to tell people this because most people equate it with Satanism, but I'm an atheist. And for some reason, so many religious people seem to think that if you're an atheist, you worship the devil, which is, you know, nothing could be further from the truth, yeah. really. Like, that's they're, they're two diametrically opposed things, but that's what a lot of Christians seem to do. And so even when I would finally work up the nerve to tell somebody that I knew wasn't very religious that I was an atheist, I would still always have to preface it with that. Mm. And I but haven't had to do that for quite a while. earlier with the, the social construct part, you know, like, 
I was born in a non non religious household, and I still thought atheist was bad. That's the social construct. That's right. that's yeah. everywhere. That's the religious pedestal. And just to clarify something I said at the beginning, when I said you're not an activist if you can't say who you are, I, what I meant by that was put a book out and promote it because eventually people are going to see pictures and know who you are, right? Yeah. You, you can only hide it for so long. But to the people who do have family members and, and jobs and, and things that are important to them that they could, they could devastate their lives and or devastate their safety nets, I don't say your name. You, know, but you are still an activist. I didn't mean, you, mm. you know, like it sounded like that because some people have podcasts and don't use their real names. I yeah. think the Scathian Atheist guys do that and they're amazing activists and they get a lot of, you know, they affect a lot of change. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't under, I did, I, I, I thought I was finding the mold. I'm like, hey, you know, but this mold, it won't kill you overnight, but it does kind of fuck us up and make us sick. And, <laughs> you know, I just, I really thought I was going to be like, I guess I was naive and thought I was going to be some form of a hero in the family because I just discovered this. We've been, because my family and, and, and I have, some of my family are amazing. I still have some amazing aunts and some amazing uh, cousins uh, that are, that are awesome people that, still hang out with me and talk to me and, and most of them are Christians and they still, you know, they, they actually like what I do. <laughs> they, um, they get it. Um, but uh, the large part, majority of my family are fundamentalists and, and they hate what I do. Yeah. And so I just, I thought still though, that since we were so close and so kind and lo- had loving relationships that I never saw them just completely cutting me off. And they did that rather quickly. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the most sinister part of religion to me. You know, that the people that you love and that you care about can be so easily cut out of your life if they have any bit of dissenting view with your religious views. You know, that you can instantly in some cases. Yeah, and and they're the same people that you've grown up with, that you've known your entire life, that you know is a good person, that is loving, that is caring, that does, you know, that believes 99.9% of the same things you do, but it's that one tiny little fucking thing that makes it so easy for other people to cut you out of their lives. And they blame you. That's the thing. They, right. they blame you. They don't, they don't think that they're cutting you out of their lives. They think yeah. you've cut them out of their lives because you asked them a question. <laughs> yeah. And I laugh about it now, and it's still sad. Don't get me wrong. It's affected it. It affects me till this day. It affects me every single day. I think about it. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. why I've become more and more of an activist. But I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, man. And I've, it's I, I will tell you this: my oldest daughter that I told you about earlier that uh, kind of was raised indoctrinated somewhat because she was born when I was a Christian. This again, this shows my naivety. Back at that Utah event, I think you probably met my oldest daughter, Dan, because. I actually told her, I need help. I'm going to have all these displays. Lindsay's going to be there playing Bible or Koran in her burqa suit. And uh, we're going to have the Ralphie Ralph puke and squirrel suit there. And I need your help <laughs> to help me sell books. And um, my daughter, I didn't even think about the fact that she's still a Christian at this point. I just needed help selling fucking books. And I was like, I'll buy your plane ticket. Blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you'll buy my plane ticket? I'm in. And... Um, she came with me to that event, and it never once occurred to me, like I would, like, like if I was a Christian, I was trying to get her into church. I would obviously have a motive, right? Yeah. It, it, it may not be an ulterior motive, but it's a motive. I did not have no motive other than help me sell books and man the table when I can go, so, so I can go socialize. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but well, as it turns out, we're sitting there at that table, and we sold out of books. I mean, the books we sold a lot of books. It was very successful, and I was very happy about it. 
and a lot of people came by and, and, and talked to me and they had heard, you know, they, they told us their stories and I'm sitting there listening to them and talking to them. And, and my daughter was just sitting there soaking all this in and she left there basically an atheist. Wow. Um, because of those stories, she finally saw that her dad wasn't alone. She had heard me, she had seen my activism. She had heard me talking about it here and there, but I never forced anything on her. In fact, I was still dropping her off at church on Wednesday nights when she wanted to go. And I would never bash it. I'd pick her up. I would, I would ask her questions, but I would never, you know, put it down. So um, as she hears stories like yours, you know, and like mine and other people, she just, her heart broke. And she was like, wow, religion does do some damage in some yeah. family. And since then, she's got to see it happen more and more in my family. Since my dad's death 10 months ago, um, I was basically insulted at my own dad's funeral. And she was there and saw it happen and left, walked out of the funeral, went to the bathroom in tears. I kept my cool because I was with my mom, and uh, I just let it happen. But she, that was kind of a, a deal-breaking point, deal point for her. So good job, Christians. You're creating a lot of us. That's all I can yeah. say. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, you know, it's that whole you'll know them by their works, right? You'll, it, I don't understand how Christians can be so hateful and say, well, I'm being hateful in a loving way. I'm hating yeah. you because I love you. <laughs> yeah, and it needs to be done. I'm trying to save your eternal, immortal soul, yeah. motherfucker. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. We used to ask, like, what is the... And this is, this is on a meme now, but we used to ask, ask it before I saw it on a meme. We used to ask, like, what, so what would you Christians do if the gay people had a book that said Christians were abomination and deserved to be stoned to death? Right. Like, what, what if the gay people, like the gay manual, said yeah. stone Christians in it? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. They somehow get away with that in our society. Their their manual says that. Well, but we're the fucking bad guys. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what the the Muslim manual does say that, and they don't they, like them at all. Mm-hmm. Well, they they do. <laughs> well, ISIS has been doing it. Well, what I'm saying is the Quran does say oh, for Christians. It does say to kill yeah, Christians, and yeah. Christians don't like that at all. Yeah. So, you know, they they can't handle a bit of their own medicine. Well, at, you know, that's a false book. We all, we all know that. <laughs> Clearly. Well, that's true, but... Clearly. It wasn't written by Jesus. No. <laughs> My wife does burqa or Koran at the uh, at the conferences and different events. She dresses up in her burqa, and um, she has this game that she plays with people, and she'll just give them the verses, and they'll have to choose whether or not it's the Bible or the Koran. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I... To a lot of atheists, that's old, you know, it's kind of it's kind of old hat stuff because they know it. But um, to a lot of newcomers or a lot of Christians, they have no clue how similar all those books are. Yeah. And so for me, the reason why we did that, the reason why that was important to me, is because that was one of the more, one of the facts that kind of got to me. You know, um, it was like, oh wait, oh that's similar. The Quran is similar to the Bible. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of plagiarism going on. I had no clue. Oh, yeah. That was something that was profound to me, and so when we play Bible or Koran, I hope that we're playing seeds in a similar fashion, because oh, you're yeah. right. It does say stone people and behead people and all that shit in both books. Well, and seeing we we can play Bible or Book of Mormon here, too, so we got, <laughs> yeah. we got a couple different games. <laughs> yeah, we used to do those games on the yeah, show. We, yeah, have, we, we haven't done a game for a long time, was, but yeah, we, we, we I used think they're to, important. Yeah, we used to do that. Matt Matt, Matt would you know do, do a little bit... Jesus Christ, I've had a little <laughs> bit to drink. A, Pardon me. <laughs> Matt would do a little bit of research, and he'd bring in quotes from either the Bible, the Quran, or the Book of Mormon, and, and would have us try to decide which one was, you know, which one the quote was from. Yeah. 
Well, you know, what's interesting is no one said, oh, I learned something from that. Everyone says to my wife how beautiful she is in that burger. (laughs) 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 No one gave a shit about the education. Uh, They were just like, like they they wondered who she was. And, of course, when she walked through the hotel room, she got a lot of people would leave the elevator. (laughs) Um, She really did have that happen at at that American Atheist Conference. She had a group of people walk out of the elevator. As they all walked on, she walked on, they all got off. Oh, Jesus Christ, everybody get off. (laughs) You know, honestly, the first time that I saw her there at the convention, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, because I, you know, I I was serving as as president for Atheists of Utah, but I was, you know, everybody else was manning the table and and being awesome and doing that so that I could go and mingle with everybody else and, you know, just kind of hang out and, and spread the good word of atheists here in Utah. And... I just kind of a couple times out of the corner of my eye caught Lindsay standing there in her burka, and I was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> like I thought this was an atheist convention. <laughs> yeah, the um, what is it? What is it? The former Muslims of America is that the name of the organization? Uh, here in Utah, um, I, I know. That the, they, I know well, no, just the one that was at the American Atheist Convention. They they were over in the corner. They were like three tables down from us, and I hadn't visited any, any of the tables yet in that area, so I had no clue. Um, but one of the girls from the former Muslims of America organization came up to, to us and was like, so, so what are you doing? <laughs> and so I thought then, I thought, maybe we, we took the shenanigan too far. Like, maybe people are offended by this. Um, mm. But fuck it. I don't care. Like, there's nothing <laughs> yeah. to be offended by. We're playing yeah. a game and you're in yeah. Burka. We're not insulting, you know, Muslims. We're, we're talking about the different religions and the compare. We're doing, it's a compare and contrast. And so what? You're in a fucking costume. Yeah, and, they're, and they're former. But, uh, and then Aaron Rock came up and took a picture with Lindsay with his tongue out, and I was like, okay, that, <laughs> at least that American atheist is cool with it. And uh, so we don't know if we made some enemies that day or not, but what can you do, man? We're we're all about the shenanigans and pushing the envelope anyway. Oh, yeah. So if someone is offended, I would like for them to tell me. That way I could at least do it again. You know, maybe have a discussion with them. But right. otherwise, we're going to keep pushing forward with you know the comedy, the satire, and just, you know, that's that's our whole thing. Like, my whole mantra is wherever there's religious injustice, wreck shit. And I don't mean yeah. wreck shit with violence or – I mean it with, with satire and comedy. Just just meet them where they are. So right. if you've got a pastor in Newton, North Carolina, saying, put all the queers and lesbians in electrified fence, he deserves to be fucking mocked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Personally, his yeah. message deserves to be mocked, but he's also a public persona, so we can also mock him personally. Now, the people that go to his church, you know what? That's debatable. I'm not going after them. Yeah. But if one of those people, if one of those people come out with a goddamn sign and starts uh, uh, screaming the same hate speech. Fair play. Just like my, it, yeah, I'm going to get right behind him with this guy has no teeth sign and have no problems with it. <laughs> now, there'll be, a far, there'll be a lot of far left liberals that get offended by that. And there'll be people who say, yeah, you're pushing it too far or you're just as bad as them. And to that, I say, I agree. That's what I want to do. I want to be just as bad as them. I, and I would see, and I would I would disagree. I wouldn't say you're just as bad as them. I would say fuck you. I'm espousing an idea just as they are espousing an idea. It doesn't mean that my idea is as bad as theirs. I'm pointing out how fucking bad their idea is. Yeah. Well, I, I do disagree with them, but my point, I guess, is that I don't. I'm not. You're not shaming me with that comment, right? Like, yeah. I take that as a compliment because, A, you obviously don't get the bigger picture if you're saying that to me. Like, what I'm doing right now is something that people don't do here in the South, and that is put these people in their fucking place. Yeah. So, I, and, you know, my dad in the beginning used to say, Joe, you're not going to change that guy. And I'm like, Dad, 
that's that's where you're misconstruing something. I'm not trying to change that asshole. Mm-hmm. I'm changing the people on the peripheral. I want people on the peripheral to see this because I remember when I went to a comedy club, one of my first visits into a comedy club, I was really young, and the comedian was making fun of rednecks. And he was just like just digging in and doubling down on everything. The redneck did, and I just thought, fuck, that's me. <laughs> that's my family. <laughs> like, that, you know, I'm, I'm a former redneck, you know, like, but the, that's where I learned that I was being an asshole, you know? Um, so I kind of like, I kind of like that idea. I like the idea of these people who are going to be the loudest and the most obnoxious and, and the meanest is getting in their face and giving it back to them. Yeah. Like, I think I kind of mentioned it last week on our show saying, if, you, if you're sitting by the sidelines being quiet, you're not going to get noticed. And you're not going to get your message out. But if you're screaming loud and, Getting people's faces, you're gonna you're gonna be noticed. You're gonna get your message out there a little bit more, maybe not clear, but you're gonna get across to people a little bit more. Oh, the squeaky wheel. Yeah. Well, and it takes. Yeah, I mean, we had people who gave us a thumbs up. We had people that came up and said, "Thank you for what you're doing." You know, thank you for what. And then we had other people that said, "You know, just that." They were like, "You're just as bad as them." And so, at some point, and you guys all know this, at some point, you just say, "Fuck it." You know, I, I don't care what anybody thinks. If someone comes to me genuinely and says, you're hurting me, I will definitely stop what I'm doing and, you know, have pause for the calls and discuss it with them and figure it out. Um, but otherwise, you don't know what my family's. I think that's the point I was going to make earlier, is that my family has been destroyed by religion for generations. Like, my grandparents died with nothing, and their, my dad and his siblings got nothing because the 700 Club and Jim Bakers of the world sucked it out of them. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just don't give a shit anymore, and that's why I decided to just come out and proud and, you know, just go full blast and have fun with it and use my comedy background as, as um, you know, kind of my starting point and just go. Let's yeah. do this. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I'd like, you know, and, and you get to a point where you kind of realize that no matter how gentle you try to be, religious people are going to be pissed and offended and upset and, you know, feel like you're walking all over them or whatever. E- even, even some of the, even some of the people in the atheist movement, quote, atheist movement that are, that seem to be, that there's a certain group of them that are going to be hyper offended, almost like the religious people. And, and mm-hmm. there's just nothing you can do about that. Which is one of the things I really liked about your book is that it's not softballing it because uh, I'm I'm just not a big fan of this. What I've been talking about hands. with these guys yeah. lately is this Disney atheism. You know, the super G-rated. Let's not offend anybody. Let's not, no fuck that. Look, they got to know what's going on, yeah. and we got to tell them. And, and I, I think you know what <laughs> I. Uh... I went to a conference. I don't even want to say the, the city because it'll give it away, but I went to, I've been to a bunch of conferences. And, and this goes back to my naivety. Is I, I went to a bunch of secular humanist conferences, which I had fun at, and I enjoyed the people, and I made a, a lot of good contacts and made some really long-lasting friendships there. But what I found interesting is, is if, if you contrast them with the American Atheist Conference, for example, who's yeah. supposed to be the firebrands, these guys get up, or these guys and gals get up and give speeches about you know what we need to do to move forward politically and legislatively, and they tell their stories and you know there's jokes about religion left and right. But what they don't do at the American Atheist Conference that I've seen anyway is take these. Uh, and I know people have said Silverman has called to see people liars before for not saying they're an atheist, um, and I don't you know. But notwithstanding that, like what they don't do is put the secular humanist you know, those kind of those far left people down. 
And when I went to the Secular Humanist Conference, almost every speaker took pot shots at firebrands and compared them to fundamentalists and extremists. Yep. And I just sat in the audience like, what an asshole you are. Like, you're, 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 you're atheisting wrong. What yeah. I can say is what you're doing is good. You're affecting change. You're reaching the people that you're going to reach. Leave the David Silverman's of the atheist movement alone. Like, if you don't like what they do, fine. But when you take pot shots at like like that at them, they don't deserve it because they're also affecting change. There's a reason why that organization is so big. They're attracting a lot of people. And I'll say this on the record for sure. When I watch David Silverman in debates and in interviews, that's the most honest person on camera. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for that. No matter what position you put him in, what comes out of his mouth is pure honesty. Mm -hmm. And that's what they don't like, because they like to throw out glitter and rainbows before they speak. (laughs) And I'm not knocking them, because, again, that attracts a lot of people. So keep up just you know, don't shit on us. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so glad you said that. I, I, if you flip it around, who's getting the attention in the religious side, the UU or the Westboro Baptist church? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it, wow, that's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, we could do handholding all day long, but the fact is we have shit to move. Yeah. Well, and, and the other part of that is it doesn't, you know, for some people, it doesn't fucking matter how fluffy you are in yes. your approach. It doesn't matter how kind you try to be, how delicately you try to put anything. There's somebody who's going to be fucking offended mm-hmm. about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it doesn't fucking matter how you say it or what you say. They're going to fucking take offense and be pissed off or hurt yep. or offended or whatever the fuck. And I don't have time for people like that. If you're going to be offended, fine, fuck it. Come and talk to me about it and we can talk it out. If you're going to be offended and just call me an asshole and whatever, then I don't have fucking time for your nonsense. Fuck off over there and do your own thing and let me do my thing. I have a perfect illustration of that. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a comedy club. Uh, with I uh, was at a comedy club with David um, Smalley. We were doing a live broadcast of Dogma Debate and at the Idiot Box Comedy Club in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm. And uh, just during one of the segments, um, I started to talk about how you know, someone asked me about the Bible in schools or something, and I, I just started talking about I didn't have a problem with the Bible being in school as long as it was on the, sh- the fiction shelf where it belonged. Right. <laughs> and um, there was a person in the audience that took great offense to that. Now, right behind me, Smalley did his thing, which he's very good at, and, and I love him for it. And he, he, he threw a little bit of the sort of he, he kind of validated the person's feelings and then went on. And But, but he, he ultimately called the Bible ridiculous in the same sentence. Yep. And we were talking about it on the way back home. We were laughing because I just said it belongs. I just was blunt. It belongs on the fiction shelf. Mm-hmm. He did his thing and then called it ridiculous, and she wasn't pissed at him at all. You were so nice and so agreeable, and I was like, it's hilarious. We said the exact same thing, <laughs> yep. almost the exact same thing, uh, but I'm the asshole. And that, I think that's what happens to David Silverman. When I watch him speak on Fox News, I'm not saying he hasn't never been an asshole. Surely, surely we all have. Sure. But the point is, he's just blunt, and people, people aren't used to that. They're not used yeah. to the honesty. And I think my background in the comedy business has been somewhat of a curse because I'm used to that. Like, right. if you... Um, in the comedy culture, I, I, I'm on the business side. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm on the business side. I do bookings and writings and all that. But in the comedy culture, like if you fuck up, you know it instantly. Right. And you know it by about 10 people, and it's harsh. Um, and so, uh, so I'm used to that. 
So maybe that's why I don't see the firebrands as abrasive. I just see them as honest. Well, and you know, a lot of it is just knowing your audience. I mean, David knows his audience. He's not trying to convert Christians. Yeah. He's speaking to the people on the periphery who are who have doubts and who, you know, think that it's bullshit but are afraid to say it. And he's out there loud and proud and saying, no, it is bullshit, and you don't have to be afraid to call it bullshit. Well, but I would also say that, that Smalley knows his audience as well. Yeah. You know, and so, sure. I mean, you, you also have, I mean, you've got... I, and it I, takes all kinds. He, it he, takes all kinds. Yeah, I mean, it exactly. takes all different kinds that's of voices to reach and different people. That's that's exactly my point. I was I was going to say, you know, both both of these guys are going to hate this comparison, but you've got David Small and you've got Seth Andrews who who both are kind of on a similar front where they 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 do fuzzy it up a, a little bit. Uh but but they have a huge fan base to do mm-hmm. that for and and they they're able to con- corral all of those all of those people by by maintaining that uh, that that position that they hold, while guys like Silverman and and Aaron and Dillahunty and everybody else is out there, you know Joey Kirkman, they're being a lot more aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's more nuanced than that. I think I think David Smalley and Seth Andrews are really nice people, and so it yes. fits their yeah. personality. Yeah. I think I'm a bit of a jackass, and so it fits <laughs> my personality to be a bit of a jackass about it because again. It's not I woke up I didn't wake up one day and say I want to be a jackass about this. There's years of history of abuse and yeah. just you know like I said of, of just harm done by religion in my family, in my community, in my fucking world, you know? So right. um I didn't grow up with you know the, the glittering rainbows and I I said years ago like I, I realized I have a one of my best friends is Republican and he's Catholic. <laughs> and we are as tight as any two people can be. And again, he's from the comedy business. So again, we can take us, you know, kind of going back and forth and bantering and jousting. But I said to him years ago, I was like, you know what I realized is that like someone up north who, who maybe a, a Catholic who grew up in a household that where religion was just this thing you did from time to time. And it brought, you know, it brought you kind of community and, 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 and what they call it a social utility. And it brought you some safety nets and you felt, part of something larger but there was no real harm that you knew of or saw and so you're you know in fact financially your family grew from it because they networked and made more contacts my experience was the opposite where my family was crushed by so that person up north and that catholic family that sees people like me has to think i'm insane you know right so they don't because they can't understand my paradigm yeah they have no frame of reference yeah yeah right so here's the fucked up part and this is what I told my friend Kenny. There's nothing I can do about that. Mm-hmm. It sucks. There are going to be some people that just hate me or think that I'm actually insane and belong in, you know, in the, the, rubber, the four rubber walls in an insane asylum. I get that. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I have to kind of go through my community here um, and go through my life with people either loving me or hating me. And I've just come to accept it, man. Like, it's just, it's kind of a, it's, it's definitely bittersweet because. I've lost some people that I never dreamed that I would lose, but I've gained some amazing people. And yeah. I know you hear that a lot now in the atheist community, you know, the quality over quantity, and that's true. It's very true, man. Once this uh, community is growing and, and there's some really amazing people there, and if you can navigate your way through kind of the schmucks that are in the, <laughs> the movement, you really can find yourself in a circle of people like Sarah Moorhead, mm-hmm. Teresa McBain. David Smalley, you got Dan Ellis. God, every time I see you somewhere, I'm hugging you right away. Like, I can't find you. In fact, when we were in Memphis, this is going to sound shitty, but when we were in Memphis, 
in the lobby, there was Matt Dillahunty and everybody in the, in the, you know, all the kind of the celeb, the real celebrities were in the lobby playing music and singing. I was hanging out with everybody else. Mm-hmm. I see those guys everywhere. I want to get to know the people who are still fresh and have their stories fresh and are still hurting and have something to say. Cause I find those people the most fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I don't know if you, uh, attended the costume dinner where JT spoke, but part nope, of his, part of his, part of his speech that I thought was just beautiful was that, you know, he, he related a story of somebody coming up to him and I, I can't remember the, the specifics of what he said, but it was something along the lines of, you know, I was talking to somebody and somebody else came up and wanted to say something and, and they said something and I didn't quite catch it. And, and they said, Oh, and I said, Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? And they said, Oh, never mind. I'm just a nobody. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know that that hurt me. Like that that killed me. That anybody in this movement would think that they're a nobody, that they have no voice, that they're they're not important, they're not a celebrity, they're not somebody that anybody else has to has to look up to. And he's like, everybody in this movement counts. It you know whether you're whether you're just a person who makes you know posts on Facebook or talks to your friends privately or whatever. Everybody here counts, and everybody matters. And to, and for this person to say that was was kind of a, a an eye-opening thing for me to to realize that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity, you still fucking matter. You know, you may not have a huge following, you may not have a blog or a, a YouTube channel or a podcast or whatever, but you're still affecting change, even in your small way, and that still fucking matters and it still counts, you're not a nobody. Or that you're even human. Yeah. Yeah, again, I don't want to sound shitty, but... I've worked with some of the biggest names in the comedy business. I don't want to sound crass. I've worked with some of the biggest names and still do work with some of the biggest names in the comedy business. So celebrity literally means nothing to me. Yeah. Um, the only the only compassion I do have for Dillahunty and, the, and, and the, the real celebrities in this movement like Silverman and all them is that I know what it feels like on a little bit of a level to be bothered by people you don't know. And I don't mean like everybody. I mean that person that's abrasive and gets in your bubble and shows up um, – to tell you what a shitty person you're at, think, at a think place you are, you're yeah. at because you checked in somewhere and they just pop up and next thing you know they're like tagging along with your family and they know you and they know a lot about you and you don't know who this you don't know this fucker's name <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I know on, on some level what that feels like and, and I'll be honest with you I can't stand it I hate it like it, <laughs> I it it bothers the shit out of me it, it I don't know why I guess it's because when I was managing tours for some of the celebrity comedians. I had to deal with that. Like when we go out, after, we would go out afterwards. Like Michael Winslow, the guy that makes all the funny noises on yeah, the Prince Academy yeah. movies. Yeah, um, he was one of the worst. Like he, he was a great guy. Uh, he wasn't the worst, but like when I was with him, we put him in this booth. It was a busy place, and we put him in the corner, and we kind of surrounded him with staff, so we could sit down and enjoy the meal and talk and actually get to know each other, all of us. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, just people start walking up. Like if someone got, got up from the booth to go to use the bathroom, someone would walk up and just sit in their seat and start just drunkly, you know, drunkly blabbing to wins. I love when you make that noise. And uh, I just, I had to protect people from that. And so I'm hypersensitive to it. Yeah. So on some level, I understand. But having said that, and by the way, maybe that guy wasn't nobody. Maybe he was one of the asshole schmucks. But, <laughs> um. Having said that, when I'm sitting at my table selling books and people are coming by and they're, I heard you on Dogma Debate, or I heard you on Thinking Atheist, and they start telling me their stories, that's my favorite. Th- those are my favorite moments at the conference. 
bar none. I'd rather be doing that than hanging out in the after-party private room with, you know, the Silvermans and Sarah Moorhead and all those guys. Mm-hmm. I love those guys. I, I still go to the after-party, but it's that's, knowing you've that's made an I, that's, impact. To me, that's where that's where I'm most comfortable. Yeah, it's it's a validation of what you're doing, right? It's it's that you have touched somebody in a way that they they want to they they just want to let you know, hey, you've you've kind of changed my life in a way, and that that's very validating and and a very comforting and very welcome feeling. I I, I get that sometimes, you know. I yeah. we we went on a bar crawl uh, over the weekend, and there were a couple times where. People who... I like how you said over the weekend, you've been on a bar crawl for the last four years. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. This was an official bar crawl, <laughs> not just my regular Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> but, but we were out By on the way, this... that's why I come find you at the conventions, because I'm like, yeah, I know what Dan's cool. Let's go drink. Fuck these guys. But go ahead. Sorry I interrupted. <laughs> no, you're fine. But so we're out on this bar crawl, and there were, there were a couple different spots that we stopped into, and, you know, just from across the room, I would see somebody staring at me and I'd look back at them and they'd, you know, give me a little wave or a thumbs up and then they'd point at me and I could see them turn to somebody else and go, hey, that's Dan Ellis over there. And I'm like, I don't fucking know who you are, but I'm I'm happy to see you out here. You know, hey, thanks. <laughs> I'm just, it's, it's always kind of weird to me. Like, I, I don't think I'm much of a public person personality necessarily but when i when when people recognize me out in public and i'm like and and i still wonder like well i wonder if they saw me on the news or they listen well, to the podcast in utah or... there's a certain group of people that you've touched in ways they want to be touched so. <laughs> <laughs> some that didn't want it that's that's for a different show <laughs> yeah and well actually if that happens that's that's a cool thing like that way you you know you, you're reaching people so i, I again i, I I hope it doesn't sound crap. It's it's when they tag along or it's when they kind of get in your bubble mm. and they just kind of sit around. I mean, I've had, I mean, I've had people do, do it when I was selling books, you know, they would kind of just stand at the table after we were done and they would just stand there. And all of a sudden a big group's coming in to see Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. And I've got a thousand people walking by my table and they can't see it because you're just standing there kind of staring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, it, it happens every conference. And that's well, it, when I'm like, okay, thank you. Have a good day. And I kind of, you know, they probably go away going, oh, he's an asshole. But you know, yeah, well, well, and, and clearly, yeah, and clearly, there's a difference between the people who think that, you know, because they've contributed to your efforts in some way, whether it's that they've bought your book or that they listen to your show or whatever, that that automatically they they then assume some important role in your life in particular, right? That because they've done something that maybe supports you, that that you should be their best friend now, versus somebody coming up to you and saying, hey. I just want to let you know that you've you've inspired me, you've helped, you've changed my life, you've made an impact, you've done whatever. I just wanted to let you know, and I appreciate it, and you know, thank you for what you're doing. Versus somebody who comes up and says, "Hi, I listened to your podcast, and now we're bet now we're best friends." Yeah, especially once you realize they have a motive. It's even some of those people who like to hang out, and, and that's fine because I've actually made some friends that way. But once you find out they have a motive, it, it may be a day. Two days later, may even be a week later, but then they, you know, a Facebook message will pop up and they're like, "Hey, will you read this script?" Or, "Hey, will you? Uh, <laughs> what equipment do you use?" Or, "Hey, can you? How do you publish that?" 
they, they wanted to pick your brain. They wanted to use you, yeah. you know? And so once I realized they have a motive and they're kind of, you know, blowing sunshine up my ass, that's even worse. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like I said, it's kind of a touchy subject because people will think you're an asshole automatically because they're like, well, that's what you want to do when you wrote a book. And actually that's not what I want to do. Yeah, no. Well, because, uh, well and, and that's why I say, I think yeah. there's a difference between the people who just want to let you know that you've, you've, you've impacted them. You've made a change in their life versus the people who want to use you and use whatever, you know, quote unquote, celebrity status mm-hmm. that you may have to further their own goals. I'm talking about the people who just want to say thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and the thing is, is there's there are real rock stars in, the, in our in our community, like Matt Dillahunty, J.T. Everhart, mm-hmm. um, Seth Andrews, to me, you know, like, and, and even David Small and um, Sarah Moorhead, Teresa McBain. Those people are rock stars to me. Mm-hmm. I'm just as I mean, I'll. I'll I'll tell you something right now that no author has ever told you. There are typos in my book that I'm embarrassed about. I, like <laughs> I'm a math guy. I have a tax business. Writing is hard for me, <laughs> but I'm not ashamed of it. I don't give a shit. I, you know what I mean? I, 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 I'm going to have a second edition just like everybody else. I'm going to fix them. But like, I'm not a brilliant, one of the smart people in this movement. I'm just one of the kind of the, the funny, smart-ass guys. And so, uh, you know, I just, I like putting the attention towards those people who, are just really brilliant and moving, like just moving the community to where, like for example, Sarah Moya. Mm-hmm. She is the president of Recovering from Religion. She's so fucking awesome. I love that. Lim- I love that woman. And I spend a lot of time with her. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, she's a machine. I'm not sure she doesn't have a clone because she's amazing. I, d- I don't know. I'm sure on her wedding night when they were having sex, she had her laptop open and was working. (laughs) (laughs) Well, true. I mean, she's all over the place and doing all kinds of great work. And it's like, when, when does she sleep? When does she eat? When does she do anything? Like she's so busy and, and has her fingers and hands in so many different things that it's, it's doing big things too. You know, it's not just that she, I'm doing a lot of things. My point is that Sarah Moorhead and sorry to interrupt again. I just wanted to kind of get this point out here, drive this point home. She's doing big things. Recovering from religion is moving a lot of people. It's given a, it's given, it's given, it's get Christians, people who are on the brink of walking away or have questions. It's given them an outlet. It's given them a resource. And she is orchestrating that whole thing. And then she goes to Apostacon and given those of us who love the shits and giggles, she's given us an outlet and resources. And then Reason Rally, which is huge, and I think they're expecting by the way, 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 100,000 people this time around because they've awesome. got some big names coming down the pipeline. But that's, you see what I mean? She's a rock star. I've got a book that's got fucking typos and it's just <laughs> short. It's got a coloring book in it. I didn't even fact check the fucking thing. I'm just a dumb, you know what I mean? I just had, I'm having fun. <laughs> so, you you know, got I'm a still book. making a difference, but, you know, but. You know, there's some real rock stars out there. And like Matt, like you said, atheist experience, Matt yeah. Dillon. I mean, I don't even care about the God debate. It bores me to death mm-hmm. until Matt Dillon takes the stage. And I'm like, holy mm-hmm. shit, that's, 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 a, that's a rock star right there. You yeah. know, and then JT Everhart gets up there and just makes everybody cry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think those people deserve a lot of do. And so I, I can, you know. Yeah, you know, I think one of the I think one of the most underrated speakers, even though he's very highly rated, is Matt Dillahunty. I mean, he's he, in my book, is is one of the great intellectuals and great speakers in the atheist movement. And 
I'm I'm very very happy that that he, Arn, and Seth have been on this tour and doing the 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 unholy trinity tour and doing all of that kind of stuff. I think Matt is brilliant. I think so many of the points that he makes are are fantastic. He makes them eloquently and and with as few words as as necessary to get his point across, right? He's not he's not overly verbose. He's he doesn't pull his punches necessarily. I mean, he's just he's a great speaker. I love listening to Matt talk. Yeah, you know, I didn't really know who he was and um I just heard people. I heard a couple people in the beginning. I don't remember when, where I was, but I heard a couple people refer to him as, an, as that, that asshole. And I immediately said, "I didn't need to find out who this is because I tend to like assholes because they're not actually assholes. Once you meet them and get to know them, they're actually just honest." Yeah. And I found that in the comedy business, and I find that in the atheist business. And whenever someone says that guy's an asshole, occasionally they're right, but nine times out of ten, what you found is someone who's willing like you said, to trim the fat and just say what is. Yeah, and speak um, plainly. he's not afraid to change his mind, so it doesn't mean he doesn't know it all. He's just saying what it is to the best of his knowledge now, you know, and, and I love people like that. Again, that's why I love watching Silverman in interviews too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to, uh, I got to drive Matt around, uh, for the, a little bit for the atheists convention last year. Uh, he had ran out of snus, and and needed somebody to drive him around town to go and get some more. So, you know, we were at a restaurant, and he's like, hey, man, have you got a car? And I'm like, yeah, you know, we are we live farther north, so we're staying here at the hotel and whatever. He's like, all right, I need some snooze. Can you drive me around? <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I, I got to drive Matt around while we were looking for snooze and, and Pepsi. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got to talk to him about, you know, he'd recently been laid off and, and was looking for a job and, and the trouble he was having in finding a job and stuff like that. And this was post um, keynote speaker who at the 2014 American Atheist Convention was, ah, fuck, the, the place kicker. I, I can't think of his oh, name. Chris right Cluey. Chris yeah, Cluey. Chris Cluey was the keynote speaker. And before Cluey spoke... Uh, Dillahunty delivered his speech. And while I was in the car with Matt, I was like, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to take away from this convention that you actually delivered the keynote speech because your speech was fucking brilliant. Cluey's a nice guy, <laughs> and he gave a good speech, but it was still, you know, it, to me, way too flowery, way too apologetic, way too accommodating. I said, your speech was brilliant. I, I really appreciate it. and And if you don't mind... I'm going to take that away from this as being the keynote speech. And he's like, fucking tell Silverman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because of that asshole effect, you know, he probably doesn't get speaking engagements that he deserves. And again, I just, I, I think that's a travesty, man. Yeah. You know, he just, he deserves it. He's not an asshole. No, um, he's really not. He's, he's a time, really nice you know? guy. I mean... Well, I'd love to keep blowing Dilla Honey while we're on here, but we've got we've got Joey Kirkland on the line here. So, well, I tell you, what, let's blow David Fitzgerald. By the way, David Fitzgerald is another one of those guys who who is, uh, and I just want to bring him up real quick because he's one of those guys who doesn't flower it either, but he's no. so goddamn likable he, he can be an asshole, and everyone will still be like you're so fucking awesome. Yeah. He's got that you know, likability factor, and he's another rock star in my book. Just want yeah. to put that out. Tons of fucking crazy. Now we can talk about me. I I love David. <laughs> yeah, he, we do. We love that guy. We uh, I was lucky enough to to have him come out here to Utah when he released uh, Nailed, or just shortly after he had released Nailed. 
Um, one of my mentors, uh, who passed away just shortly before the 2014 convention, um, you know, knew knew of David and 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 some other mutual friends, and was able to get him to come out here to do a, a speech and a book signing at one of our monthly luncheons that we used to do for Atheists of Utah. And you know, had David come out here, he delivered a, he delivered a great speech, and you know, I got to visit with him for a little bit, and and then I've you know seen him at the at the two American Atheist conventions that I've that I've attended, and he really is. I mean, he's just a super nice fucking guy. I. He's just he's so warm and welcoming and friendly and but at the same time doesn't doesn't pull any punches or, or try to use too many flowery words or language when he's talking about what bullshit religion is. No, no, he can mock your mother right in front of you and get her smile <laughs> and want to give him a hug for doing it <laughs> and buy his book, give him your money. <laughs> hey man, well I was I was kind of curious, just like what what hobbies are you into? Like I mean, we don't just off the total change of, change of gears here, but I was just wondering what, what you were into, what you like to do. Well, it's a good try, but my hobby is wrecking shit when it comes to religious injustice. So <laughs> yeah. we're, back, we're back to where we were. All right. Um, no, I'm just kidding, actually. I better be careful saying that because then it's not tax deductible because they're hobby ball. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, um, I, uh, my, I, I love my family. I love my wife and I love my three daughters and I, I worship the ground they walk on and I, 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 I've made plenty of mistakes as a dad, but uh, I try to try. To, I want to. I want to make sure that when I leave this earth, you know, that they have some sort of safety net and have some knowledge that my former family members didn't have. So, I, my 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 hobby is inspiring them in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like I love inspiring them. They're all love, they love science now. And my daughter JoJo just had brain surgery a few weeks ago, and she's kind of a mass savant. She loves physics, and she's a skateboarder, and she's going skydiving next month. And this is like eight weeks after a, a, a double brain surgery where wow. they removed part of her brain for epilepsy. Oh. And um, my middle child, Macy, I'm sorry, my youngest child, Macy, in high school, working her ass off, an amazing child. She loves acting and doing, um, she does some improv now and then. Um, and my oldest daughter, very independent, um, is about to be a teacher. She's getting ready to graduate and going to be a teacher. And she said she wanted to be a teacher in the seventh grade, and that's about to happen. And she's 24 now. Oh, wow. And, of course, my wife, she's a hobby. Um, <laughs> I just like, like being with family. Like I, I do enjoy traveling. And I like going to the conferences. And when I used to manage tours, and I still do occasionally, but when I used to manage tours full-time in the comedy business, you, it's true. After about six months, the fun is over. It's work to you, and it's mm-hmm. it's depressing. You're on the road. You're away from home, and I just I love being home with my family. So if, if I have a hobby, it's good. Oh, that's awesome, man. So you don't golf or anything? <laughs> <laughs> I golf. So. <laughs> God, man, I have a bad taste in my mouth for golf, man. <laughs> um, I bought a house. Well, I say I. Uh, <laughs> in my first marriage, we bought a house on the 18th hole of a golf course. Uh, when I met my ex-wife, she, we were all kind of hippie-ish and didn't give a shit about money. We were just going to save the world some way. And uh, next thing you know, we're, at a, <laughs> we're, we're in a 3,000-square-foot home on an 18th hole of a golf course with a BMW <laughs> in debt, <laughs> fucking suicidal, ready to split a vein. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I, I tell you this. I did enjoy golf itself. I hated the culture. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, like I'd walk into the clubhouse yeah. and those fat, white, blue-eyed devils would be sitting there <laughs> judging my 
judging my liberal ass. And uh, yeah. no, I'm, I'm kidding. But I meet two I of the I meet two of those three descriptions. I'm <laughs> fat and white, but you're also blue. I don't have. Do, have, eyes, do I have blue eyes? Eyes? Yeah, yeah, they're they're blue. They're like a light blue. You don't know uh, you have blue. eyes. He's I'm colorblind. Yeah, but dude, how old are you? And you've been around long enough to have that told. People you. tell me sometimes they're green, sometimes they're hazel. <laughs> okay, they're not fucking brown. <laughs> I know they're not brown. Okay, well I think that's what he meant. <sighs> We ramble a bit. This show's this just show, got so. real masculine. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you though on the golf culture. Like when I'm out playing with some people, and it's like they start making fucking racist jokes or yeah. fucking sexist jokes, and I'm like, "Come on, guys, you're better than that." It's the men's league, but that doesn't mean you have to be such a fucking dick about shit, right? Like women have a place in the world. They're good people. Surely you like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then that jackass and me comes out, and then everybody hates me at the, mm. at the country club because <laughs> I just shit comes out of my mouth. Oh yeah, I used well, to, one of the things I used to do when I was younger, whenever someone would use, and I'll I'll say the n word now because it's not appropriate in my story. It was very appropriate, and I've used it on all the podcasts <laughs> that I do, and all the you know like Dalvin debate. But now I'll tell you that whenever someone would use the n word around me, um, I would say I would look at them with this like dead face and say, my wife is black or my girlfriend's black. Nice. And I just watched their face start to contort. I used to get a kick out of that. Show. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's awesome. Well, I, w- I was just going to say, you know, besides the, besides the, you know, sexism and racism that I, that I hear on the golf course, a lot of the time I hear people make very, very bigoted remarks in, in, in regard to the LGBT community. Yeah. And, I, I told these guys, I think a, a two or three episodes ago, that I was out playing golf with one of the guys that I used to work with at, at a different company, and and he was saying, you know, yeah, I, I see all the things you post on Facebook about you know gay rights and marriage equality and everything, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the gays getting married. I just yeah, it just really bothers me when they're like you know kissing in public and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, you afraid they're going to see your boner? <laughs> you should you should have uh, responded in a boomhauer voice since that was Hank Hill. <laughs> yeah. It really bothers me well, when I'll see the guy. I'll tell you what, man. I got the damn internet dot com. I'll tell you what. He was talking. Yeah, I know. That's what I can't stand about those guys. Like that's I know awesome. they're victims too. I feel sorry for them and compassion for them in some way because they're they're on autopilot. <laughs> Shit is literally just falling out of their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't put an ounce of thought into it. It's what their daddy did. It's what their yeah. daddy's daddy did. And they didn't figure out that their daddy's daddy was fucking wrong. Yeah. They're all <laughs> and so they're repeat. just regurgitating this fucking shit. And I'm just I, sorry I'm getting like too cussing a lot. But oh, I, I, get, okay I get, get really passionate about that because that's part of the family that I can't that I came from that I'm trying to fight now. Like that's what I was kind of brought up in, yeah. in that peripheral, those um, extended family members. That's how they behave and how they talk. Yeah. I mean, even the loving ones. Like I, I had someone in my family who's a pastor who posted on their Facebook back in 2011 that gay people were worthy of death, and then he backed it up with scripture. And all I did was say, "How could you say such a horrible thing?" And we share the same last name. Now I know that was pretty harsh, but what he said that was, was not harsh. Let's that's, fucking gay yeah. that's not harsh, dude. That is not and harsh. <laughs> Yeah, and he didn't actually say let's go gay people. He was just pointing out that this is wrong, and here's the scripture, and we could even, like, the Bible even goes this far. 
And but my point is, those people I can't be quiet around anymore. Yeah. You know, and and I just can't. It doesn't. I can't hold back. It's not. Uh, it's not a choice for me. I have to respond to that shit coming out of their mouth. Yeah, I I can't hold it any either anymore. I mean, I I try. I try really fucking hard most of the time. Like when I'm when I'm around my dad, who who I love, who you know taught me all kinds of stuff. But he's horribly, horribly homophobic. I mean, he he says some of the dumbest, stupid fucking shit, and it just fucking falls out of the hole in his head, like. Like it, like it's completely effortless. I mean, he he doesn't fucking think about it for a second, and it pisses me off so fucking much. <laughs> and you know, a big part of it is that I know so many members of the LGBTQ community, and I know fucking members of our family, of my dad's fucking family, who he doesn't know are gay or lesbian or bi because he's such a fucking asshole about it. There are members of his own fucking family that he doesn't know are gay, lesbian, or bisexual because he's such a fucking asshole that they will never fucking talk to him about it. And that pisses me off so much that he goes around flapping his fucking... (laughs) We didn't know that you were mad about it. (laughs) That he goes around flapping his fucking gums and insulting them and and belittling them and demeaning them when they're sitting in the same fucking room. And I know this about them and he doesn't, and they will never share it with him because he's such an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. And he's missing well, out appreciate- and he's missing out uh, on sharing that part of their life with them because he's such a fucking asshole about it. He is missing out. And I, I share your passion because, and I can tell you where it's coming from. It's, it's coming from a very real place because we know, because we, we, we do actually have, conversations and exchanges with our gay loved ones we know that they go to bed at night feeling subhuman we know that the social construct is set up as such as they are not normal and they have to live with that moment by moment and of course when we're in public there some of them are flamboyant some of them are just having fun they don't they seem fine they don't seem depressed they seem very happy but we know because they tell us in the moments of when we're alone that yeah, it's like, you know, I was suicidal from age, whatever to whatever. And we know that your dad and my family members are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And we want so bad to change the social construct. We want the religious right people to feel that way. We want them to yeah. feel, yeah. not forever, but we want, to feel, we want them to feel it for at least a minute so they can know what the effect that they're having on people. And just to lighten this conversation up a little bit, <laughs> um, my wife is bisexual. She just got fucking hotter. I know. Um, and uh, I have some other family members that are gay, and uh, same thing. You know, they wouldn't say anything, but I'd be around these people and the, the, these other religious fundamentalists, and they would start popping out their shit. And I'm like, somebody has to stand up for these people. Like, obviously, my gay loved ones have been beat down so far since you know birth that they don't even know how to handle it. This is just life to them. I can see the hurt and the pain if I don't say nothing then something's wrong with me. Like, yeah. if I let this go, I'm the asshole in this whole situation. And yeah. if this universe is putting us through a test, that's your fucking test. Are you going to stand up? Are you going to stay quiet? Well, and so well, you know, well, I choose the, to stand up. And the, and the part of it I that agree. kills me, too, is that I have family members. Well, I, I have one family member who is 
you know, pretty open about being a lesbian. I mean, she brings her partner with her to her Christmas parties and shit like that. It's never said that, hi, this is Brandy, or shit, this is... <laughs> Barbie? Fuck me. I just said her name. Out. I didn't mean to do well, that. This is... Fuck, this is my no partner. No one knew until you said that other part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, this is, this is my partner... You know, we're in love, we live together, we share our expenses, our lives, our our everything. We're you know, we're we're partners, we support each other, we're we're there for each other. I've brought her here to our our family Christmas party, and everybody there at the Christmas party treats both of them, you know, wonderfully. They're 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 nice, they're kind to them, whatever, and they don't say anything about being gay or lesbian. The second they walk out the door, it's you know, every fucking gay slur you can think of, every lesbian slur, every homophobic fucking bullshit thing that they can think of to say, but they don't have the fucking courage to say that to their face or to even be unkind to them to their face because it's somebody that they love and care about and they don't mm-hmm. fucking say anything while they're sitting there. But as soon as they're gone, oh Christ, you know, then it's fucking everything that they can possibly fucking say about them and it pisses me off so much because then I know that sitting in the same fucking room are other family members who are gay or lesbian but aren't out to the rest of the fucking family. I know about it because they feel comfortable telling me and I'm honored. I feel honored and privileged that they feel comfortable enough to tell me about it, but it pisses me off so fucking much that the rest of the family sits there and says all these horrible things about gay and lesbian people while other family members are still sitting in the same fucking room who are, you know, who have, who who are gay and lesbian and nobody knows. So they think that it's okay to say all this horrific shit about them. God Damn it, that makes me so fucking mad. Usually I'm the ranter. (laughs) I think, too, it's because we feel their pain, because even though we're not, you know, as atheists, as out atheists, we we, we deal with discrimination Mm -hmm. in our own way. And in in, in my circumstances, and I don't know about all of y'all's, but in my circumstances, in a big way. Um, it happened, like, like I said, it happened at my own dad's funeral, and it's. I could give you a lot more stories, but um, you, you don't have enough time. And so, I, I, on some level, I can relate to what they feel like, and I think, you know what I mean. Like, but but I haven't felt this way my whole life. In other words, I wasn't, I didn't feel like ostracized my whole life. This just started five, six, seven, eight, you know, in in waves. Um, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago, it's it, it was little by little. So. I'm just in the last three or four years understanding the impact of it, whereas they've dealt with it pretty much their whole life. They knew they were different from an early age, and so we. I feel like you know the atheist community, the secular community. I feel like that's why we're standing up for them so much. Yeah. The if you want to hear something, this is just me hypothesizing, but I think it's gonna it's gonna come to fruition. There's a lot of gay people that are Christians, and I have a feeling that once we have this major tipping point and the, the, it's done, this fight, the f- fight will never be done. But it's, once it's kind of like, okay, it's accepted here and sort of like blacks and whites marrying or different races marrying, once it, it's accepted, I have a feeling we're gonna, it's going to be hilarious. Hilariously sad because there's going to be a lot of gay Christians that turn on us, and we spent a lot of our mm. time fighting for them, and uh, they'll turn on us because of our atheism. You know what I mean? Because there are still a lot of Christians with that baggage and with that with that religion in their head. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've seen oh that. I've seen that in modern times and right now. I mean, there there are a few people who have unfriended me on Facebook because you know they'll, I'll say something rah rah yay about the about the gay or lesbian community, 
And so they'll friend me on Facebook, and then I'll say something bad about religion, and then they'll unfriend me on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I one of my little mottos is don't borrow sorrow from tomorrow. And I get what you're saying, and I think you're probably right, but at least for now – you know, and for and well, and for always, we're going to know that we're on the side of right. And if they choose to do that, that's fine yeah. later. But we're still doing the right thing. Absolutely, I agree with that. And I think about it. I let, that's why I said it's going to be hilariously sad because yes. it's, it is going to be ironic, and it is going to be. I, for me, comedy is not just tragedy, but it's also irony. And so, when yeah. things like that happen, even though I can feel some pain from it, I can also see the comedy in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because uh, you know. Like Hitchens said, we're all going to get the tap on the shoulder one day and be out of here, and the next generations are going to go through the same shit in, in a different way. Um, and no, I don't think that the, the universe was put here, and we're here as, as a test. I don't, there's no evidence for that. I'm just saying, in the in the uh, you know in the in the off chance, the way off chance that that is. All I know is that that's how I have to operate now. I'm not doing it because I think that it is a test. It, I just don't sleep well at night if I let something like that go. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't. Every time something hits my news feed and, and a transgender child has walked out in front of a vehicle and killed themselves, um, I, I have a chemical change in my body. Yeah. I can't. I'm fucking pissed. Um, just. And it, it just happens. You know what I mean? Because this stuff is avoidable. These people are living in this misery, and some gay people aren't. But these people are. And um, so. I just, I can't do something about it, and so I'm gonna. Yeah. yeah. Well, and while you were speaking, it it, it hit me. I, I remembered, and I I, I kind of slapped my leg yeah. and raised my arm, and I was like, yes! And we're all staring Matt at Matt and like, Ryan are staring at me like, what the fuck is Dan doing? But <laughs> I remember, crazy. you know, we're, we're talking about LGBTQ rights and, and atheists pushing for those and, and saying that that's what needs to happen. And last year during the Pride Festival, Matt and Ryan were going around doing interviews uh, on you know on camera interviews with different groups there at the Pride Festival, mm. and talking about you know why is Pride important to you, whatever. And there was one group here in Utah that refused to speak with them after they found out that they were doing this for an atheist show. Yeah. It was Equality Utah, and in my mind I thought, are you fucking kidding me? You're talking about equality for everybody except atheists, apparently. Even though we're there fucking supporting you, we're at Pride Parade, we're interviewing people, we're doing everything that we can to support your group, and you fucking shit on us because we're atheists. Yeah. Like, what kind of fucking hypocrisy is that? It made me, it still makes me so fucking mad. I think I remember the response with that one was when we walked to that booth said, hey, you know, we're looking for somebody to do an interview with real quick, you know, just talking about what you guys are doing for Pride, you know, what you got coming up, you know, just kind of do a little talk with you, you know, why are you supporting? He said, oh, let me get back to you in a second. They came back, who are you with? Like, oh, we're with Atheists of Utah. Sorry, can't talk to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That made me, it still makes me so fucking mad. Are you saying my hypothesis just became a theory? <laughs> well, it's been tested Quite. at least once. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah. Just needs to be repeated, right? Yeah. 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 Well, that, there you go. I mean, I'm sure it's it's it just is the way it is, man. It's it's. I, I hate saying that, but once we're gone, I once we're gone, but the the younger generation is gonna is gonna gonna deal with other discriminatory practices. They're gonna. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're humans. We're going to find something to shit on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember in grade, grade school, they would do that test where 
you have blue eyes, you're not allowed to do this. If you have brown eyes, you are allowed to do this. And they do it with children to show them what racism feels like using the color of eyes. Mm -hmm. And I really think that humans are that petty uh, overall. Not always, of course, but... You know, we like to brag about being a smart country because we were first this or first of that. We got a rover on Mars and we did. Yeah, that's those people that did that. We're yeah. fucking idiots. <laughs> the vast majority of us are idiots. A small fraction of a fraction of us put a rover on Mars, put a spaceship in space, put something on the moon. We don't get to tag along with that. Most of us are running around beating our chest, waving the flag yeah. and, you know, saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And no matter what, no matter how stupid the politician is, as long as they pepper in freedom, liberty, the flag, they're going to get applause, you know, and yeah. a standing ovation. Yeah. That's our society overhaul. So who knows what's coming down the pipeline? But yeah. I think atheists are probably the next. You know, I mean, we've always, we always have been, but I think our time is next. Like the LGBTQI mm-hmm. community is coming. Their time is now. And I think our time is next yeah. and our numbers are growing. So what, what, whatever's behind us, who knows, but. Hopefully, I've inspired my children to not necessarily be activists, but to be cognizant and at least be uh, comfortable enough when someone like their cousin, you know, someone young says something like that, uses the N-word or or, or some derogatory term to talk about LGBT people. Hopefully, I've inspired them to say, yeah, I don't like that. You know, you don't have to say, hey, you're a fucking asshole. I fucking hate your good. But maybe my daughter could look at her cousin and say, yeah, I don't like that, and I don't agree with it. Yeah, and this is why. And then. Yeah. Yeah, this is why. Exactly. So that's Yeah, well and that's one of the things that I've always tried to do with my kids is is, you know, a lot of the time for for religious indoctrination it's it's you know that those those parents will tell their children what to think. And I've always taken the position that I don't want to tell them what to think, but I want to tell them how to think and how to make decisions for themselves and decide what's good and what's bad and and be able to to have the mental ability to see what is ultimately good and what is what is ultimately bad what what works for the benefit of other human beings and what works for their own benefit and and to weigh the two and decide the best path the best path forward i don't want i don't yeah, want to tell them you know this is what you have to believe it's no this is what i think and here's why and if you disagree with me great here's some here's some good places where you can go for information or for other answers and don't take my word for it go and find these answers go and find answers for yourself you know if and if i don't don't know yeah. the answer if you have a question for me let's find those answers together and when you're done go get me a beer <laughs> <laughs> well what other plugs do you have for us man we appreciate so much the time you spent with us this has been a lot of fun man i really, I, I enjoyed the spectrum because like i said with david smiley you know doing his show and it's very uh the, the um he uses the Socratic method, and you want to kind of tame your firebrand a little bit. But mm-hmm. it, and, but David can get a little firebrand himself. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a lot. He's awesome. But um, this has been a lot of fun. You guys are wide open, and I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad we didn't have topics picked. We were able just to riff. Yeah. Yeah, that's how, kind of how we like just to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we kind of shoot from the yeah, hip, so and, we, and we like, you know, we just kind of like to have a conversation yeah. with people. Yeah. yeah, whenever there's topics, I just don't do well because I, I told you at the beginning I'm dumb. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to study up on that topic because I study topics that I'm passionate about. So whenever we riff, we kind of, kind of, you know, we go those ways. Yeah. Um, but what, what I had to play, I'm now the uh, CFO of Secular Media Group. That was announced a few days ago, which awesome. is awesome. Congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. And so we got a lot of uh, cool plans with that. 
in uh, dogmandebate.com. You, you guys are all familiar with Dogman Debate, obviously. Yes. And uh, I've, I've enjoyed working with Smalley a lot and getting to know him. Mm-hmm. And um, his daughter, Talissa, they stayed at uh, my house for about a week because all the shows were sort of within a couple of hours of my house. And so we, okay. we just kind of, we all were here. And I got to hang out with him and his family for a bit and get to know them pretty well. Oh, that's right. Awesome. That's, he was doing the idiot box and the fact stuff and that, that whole yeah that whole area, right? Yeah, and the the PA, yeah, yeah. the Pennsylvania atheists, and right, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. David, David yeah. and his and family are good people, man. Yeah, yeah. And then we went to D.C. for the Secular Coalition of America for Lobby Day. We actually got to go lobby Congress and senators. And man, I, that was I've done that in North Carolina. I don't want to get get <laughs> sidetracked. I know we're wrapping it up, but I, be afraid of the politicians that we have today. Most of them, I, I'm yeah. telling you, man. If you, I. I I know I'm dumb, and so when I talk to some of these people, I'm worried. I'm like, Jesus, if you're dumb on my scale, we're, 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 we're done. But um, anyway, we had fun doing that. So I guess, um, and then after that, I think he went to Philadelphia, too. And then he was to Baltimore with the, talking to an ex-cop that was kind of shitting up, ratting out the Baltimore cops. Yeah. So it was an exciting week. So go to dogmandebate.com. Check out David Smalley for sure. Go to Secular uh, News Network. That's something they started out. Uh, John Carp from Dogma Debate is doing a news segment. Secularnewsnetwork.com. And, uh, of course, joeyleekirkman.com, not Kirkland. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can try that. You can try that. But joeyleekirkman.com has um, – I've got two more books coming out, PR Pope, and there's another one called Feridity mm-hmm. uh, that's coming out next year. Okay. But you can see everything there, my blog there, my schedule there, where we'll be, what conferences we're going to, and all that good stuff. And PR Pope is the scheduled release is September? Yeah, I'm going to try my best to release it at ApostaCon, okay. September okay. 18th through the 21st. Um, and we're working really hard to do that. I've had a crazy year with my daughter's brain surgery and my dad passing yeah. away and my yeah. tax season. And with him gone, he was my tax partner. So it's been in a, but, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So uh, PR Pope's 95% sure it will be out at Apostacon. Okay. And uh, it's well, a small, it's not a big book, so, you know, I have faith that I can get it done. Nice. Well, we'll look forward to it. Uh, may Ralphie Ralph puke upon you, and uh, appreciate your time, man. <laughs> yeah, man, thanks a lot. Hey, by the way, Dan Ellis. Yes. I think, I think, I think you need to... Uh, start your uh, your public speaking man because I, I honestly believe that you would be not another david fitzgerald but dan ellis is so likable he's he's one of those people that i believe that could get away with anything yeah <laughs> no matter what is coming out of your pie hole no, you're fucking does. smiling and i'm like i want what that dude has mm-hmm. oh you're too sweet man thank you very much he's a huggy teddy bear yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks for having me on guys appreciate it hey thank, thank you so you. much joey love you bud see you guys but so that was the awesome joke. That was a good. That was a good conversation. Oh yeah, I love that guy. He's he's. I really, really, really like Joey. He's yeah, really I, I kind of felt bad for wrapping it like that, but we, we, we could have just gone for so long. Oh, yeah. talking oh, yeah. to Joey forever, man. Yeah. But and we're on. We're, we're well. We're just a little past the two hour mark right now. Yeah, yeah, we were on with him for an hour and a half. Yeah. Well, almost longer than that. Yeah, longer than that. Because he came oh, in about two. seven minutes in. Yeah, almost yeah. two hours. So. Yeah, yeah. He's As, he's just a really great guy, man. I I I love chatting with him. He's just so completely down to earth, and yeah. and and I mean, and 
what I love about Joey is that he's open to criticism too, right? Like mm-hmm. when when we were at the convention in Memphis, you know, he he came over and he's talking to me. He's like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I I I appreciate when I post something out there and I'm kind of iffy about it, but then I see that you like it and I'm like, okay, <laughs> so it wasn't too far off base." <laughs> yeah. And and I told him I'm like no man it it takes all voices it takes all kinds of people all all kinds of opinions not everybody is affected by whatever opinion in the same way you know everybody has different ways in which they come to to make decisions on things so right it it takes all kinds of voices yeah and I I personally really appreciate the firebrands well and that's I think that's well I think all three of us are kind of that way and I think that's the spectrum he was talking about the difference between like you know, you have Seth and Smalley on, on one end that can't say the cuss words. And then, and then, <laughs> and you know, we just, and then everywhere in between. And then I think we fall somewhere more on the extreme end, uh, fire brandy where it's really loose and go with whatever. I mean, you know, we do more research than most of the other podcasts, but we still sort of let it go. Yeah. We, we let it cut the conversation kind of flow organically. So. Yeah, and and I I kind of I really like that about our show that we're that it is just kind of organic and and free flowing. You know, we don't have a set structure yeah. necessarily all the time. And but if you hate it, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for like hate mail and just the uh, fuck you, you atheist. We haven't gotten any hate mail. We yet. haven't gotten any we've, mail. We've gotten we've gotten we've a, gotten we've, we've got a few. We've, we've gotten, gotten some few. minor criticisms. Yeah, but we've we've gotten mail and 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 some criticisms. We, and, we want your questions. Yeah. We want your your input. We want your questions more than your. We'll take both. We'll take both input and questions. Text and Ryan it, at eight hundred one. Hey, what is? <laughs> and if you have something that you'd like us to talk about that that you think we haven't covered yet or whatever, please let us know. You can send us an email at godlessrevolution at gmail You can reach us on Facebook at facebook dot com slash godlessrevolution. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at tgr podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send us send us some questions. Send yeah. us some show ideas. Send us some topics you'd like yeah. us to cover. Yeah, if there's something that you've seen out there in the Twitter sphere, the Facebook realm, or just the news worlds that you'd like us to cover that we haven't covered yet. And like, hey, I want these guys' input. Yeah, let us know all about how you've never been behind a mic and what we yeah. can do better. <laughs> yeah. And fucking send your shit to us. <laughs> no, don't do that. No, not shit. Don't not send us shit. shit. Yeah, that I don't but, think the letter carriers would appreciate that very no, much. It, it might. It'd be a little squishy. <laughs> uh, next year or next year? Fuck. <laughs> next week, we're very excited to have both Amanda Johnson and Sarah Kramer in studio with us. Uh, we'll be talking about all kinds of different things, including atheists of Utah, the upcoming board elections for atheists of Utah, Pride Pride Week is that week, so we'll be talking about that. I'll be Driving the Godless Mobile in the Pride Parade. I'll be working that Sunday yeah. at the Restore Our Humanity tent with the camera. Yeah, we'll be talking about Restore Our Humanity and all families and the World Congress of Families coming to Utah in mm-hmm. October and how fucked up that is. Yeah. So that should be a really good discussion. I'm looking forward to it. We'll be talking about some intersectional atheism and feminism, which will be awesome as well. Because mm. it's normally just dudes on this show, so we'll have a female perspective because... I like to talk to the ladies. <laughs> now, Dan, put the handcuffs and whips away. It's not that kind of talk. <laughs> no, Sarah and Amanda are both very awesome. I'm, I'm excited to have them yes. on the show again next week. Uh, so tune in, everybody. I, I did throw a little song in there. It's a random song for the end, like I labeled it. 
it's literally a song I haven't heard yet. Like you labeled it like. and everything? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. But I figure we always got to have a song to play it out. We need to have some sort of music going. You got to do something. And I like this band, and I haven't heard this song yet. Because I'm like, oh, I haven't been paying attention. But apparently they put a new album out. Oh, well mm. then. Let's get to the so, playing of it. So it's random. So yeah. Bye. Have a good night. Bye, everybody. And oh, there, there it goes. There it goes. <laughs> Coyotes tiptoe in the snow after dark At home with the ghosts in the national parks Mankind's behaving like some serial killers Giant old monsters afraid of the sharks Walking with ghosts in